Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I'm John Agurney from the San Francisco Bay Area, not Park City, Utah. That's right, because we're talking about Sundance, and it was virtual this year. With me, I, of course, mm-hmm. have the Cinemaholics co-host, co-founder, co-conspirator, and freelance film critic, Will Ashton. Will, hey. Hey. I didn't realize I was getting uh, so many titles, but yeah, it's cool. Yeah, you're. I see you're like dusting off the snow. You just got off the slopes. Sure, I'm a man of many titles. I'm a man of many places, I guess, virtually in this scenario. That's right. That's right. Yeah, this is this is a big episode. This is one of my favorite episodes we do all year because mm-hmm. we get to talk about my favorite film festival. That's right, Sundance. This is your 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 all time favorite festival. This, right is, here. this is my favorite festival every year. This is I think I've mentioned it on the show or I've mentioned it in Pat like in other things before. But this is like one of my favorite times of the year. You know, mm-hmm. it's like right after Christmas. Holidays aren't over for me. I still got one more in the tank, and that's Sundance. I'm also Chinese New Year, celebrating that this coming week. But yeah, January, taking it back. January used to be like the worst. Like I remember when I was a younger film fan, film film person, we hated January. January sucked. Like no good movies coming out, really, unless Mm -hmm. you're like looking for art house favorites. You probably already saw them in December. But now we have Sundance. Now we have all these other things coming out. It's great. Yeah, I mean... As you were mentioning, I feel like for me, I always associate January with catching up with some of the best films of the previous year, along with seeing, you know, just the most like generic stuff that Hollywood barely gave a second thought to stuff that just came out seemingly at random throughout the year. And you just kind of get those two back and forth. It's a very whiplash cinematic experience of getting basically the best of last year and the worst of this upcoming year at one month. It's kind of an incredible month for movies in that way. Let's talk about Sundance in a little bit more detail. Now we've, we've covered Sundance plenty of times here on the show. I mean, we've covered it every year since 2018. The only time we didn't cover it was our first year because we're coming up on our fifth anniversary of doing the show, um, 2017. And I just remember we didn't we didn't talk about Sundance because, I mean, we had just started the show. Neither of us attended the festival and we started it in like February. Sundance was already like over. So I remember we talked about like I think we were talking about like SAG Awards and stuff like that, like right before we started the podcast. Sure. But yeah, I don't th- I don't think we really got into it. 2018 was I mean, different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I was gonna um, say. I mean, I'm sure we talked about the movies that were at Sundance throughout the year, just not in one concrete episode. Sure. Uh, I want to say we had on like a guest. Like I think we may have we may have had Alex Billington on to talk about yeah. Sundance. But that was about it, right? Right. Um, now, I've I've been attending Sundance since 2018, and it's it's for me it's like gotten bigger and bigger every year. Like more and more films covered. And I, like I've said before, I love Sundance. I, I, I miss attending in person. And for, for listeners who don't really like, I, I didn't want to bring this up because I don't know if we talk about it often, but like, what, what's the big deal with Sundance? For listeners who don't know, Sundance is one of the, the big five film festivals. It's one of the biggest film festivals in the world. It's the biggest one in the United States. And I think, guess, I guess that makes it the second biggest in North America. So the big five include Cannes. Right. And Cannes is like the most prestigious for most people. Berlin or Berlin Ale. That's the yeah. that's the biggest, like the most people go to that one. And then and you that also one have, is um, that's happening. I think when people are listening to this episode it starts this week, right? 
It's coming up. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah depending on um, the exact dates. But yeah, also a big festival. We also have Venice is the other one and Toronto. And Venice and Toronto are, they, they happen later in the year. We have a bunch of other like smaller film festivals, but like also pretty big. Like we have South by Southwest, which is up mm-hmm. there. Like it's it's not that far away from Sundance, and it's been gaining more and more prestige over the years. And there are lots of smaller, you know, film festivals. Like we have like San Francisco, we have an international film festival. I know you have film festivals out there near Pittsburgh that you like to go to. I guess the difference though is that that's like the festival circuit. We don't get tons of like world premieres and everything yeah. um, to those ones. We might get like those, one, you know, yeah. Yeah, those are, yeah, I mean, comparatively, like, those are kind of, for people like us, like, we can catch up on movies that were at Venice, movies that were at TIFF that we didn't get a chance to see because we weren't at those festivals usually. So that's, like, that's a chance for us to catch up on those films. But, yeah, in terms of premieres and actually getting what often become some of the bigger films of the year in America, uh, Sundance is the place to be. Exactly, exactly. And... I think one thing that kind of sets Sundance apart too is that I think that it it technically is like the biggest film festival for independent films and independent filmmakers. And the Sundance Institute is like all like totally dedicated to helping people who are like indie directors, like get their first movie. So what's cool about Mm -hmm. Sundance is you see it's a lot. There's a lot of discovery with this festival. You get to see a lot of first time filmmakers, a lot of debut films. You get that, too, in other film festivals, but they tend to not be like the centerpiece films. Like when by the time you get to Toronto, for example, a lot of those films are like big films from pretty well-known actors that are getting all the attention. And like, for example, like Doom you know belfast sure. stuff like that but i mean yeah but i mean like going like if you're talking the history of sundance like you wouldn't have a quentin tarantino without sundance no, you, you wouldn't have robert rodriguez you wouldn't sundance, have sundance is the vanguard of indie filming yeah yeah damien chazelle ryan coogler those are just like obviously a handful of names but they all got their start and get, became prominent or kevin smith i know obviously that's a big that's a big successful story there but yeah i mean a lot of the most prominent notable names in american cinema got their start because of sundance and because their films came to prominence through sundance a lot of times in those cases they are filmmakers you know who aren't of note before the festival begins their film comes out gets word recognition and all this stuff and then you know sure enough they get the keys to a lot of blockbusters and stuff so in a grand sense like that a lot of times these filmmakers get noticed through the festival and become big names later on in the decades to come because of this festival yeah yeah i mean one of the biggest film or one of the best filmmakers of all time martin scorsese like first sundance was mean streets you know that's when that came out so like for sure you know late 70s was such an like indie films in general didn't really come into their own really until the 90s and what we mean is like before that time stuff really had to go through the hollywood system but what's so great about sundance is it it kind of started out as like hey we're going to bring in more attention to like american filmmaking but like making american filmmaking kind of have that same like prestige and acclaim that we're seeing you know in france you know we're seeing at these other places uh because of the french new wave because of italian cinema and yeah i think um you know, like also Midnight Cowboy uh, was uh, the first Sundance too. I want to say in Street Streetcar Named Desire, a couple more like pretty notable oh, yeah. films. I didn't know that. Actually, yeah, to be honest, yeah, it, it wasn't always called Sundance. It was the U.S. Film Festival. It was later called Sundance, and uh, you know, obviously a reference to 
Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, mm-hmm. Robert Redford was like co-founder sort of of like the first iteration and all that. But we're not going to talk about the history of Sundance. The point is sure. <laughs> that Sundance is really, really important, um, you know, for a lot of filmmakers. And I think that but I think the most important thing about it or one of the the key things it brings to the year in cinema is that it's the first major film festival of the year. Lots mm-hmm. of world premieres. And it tends to really set the tone for the year in film. It really does. Even in a year like 2020, when that was the last time I attended in person, it was right a couple months before COVID. We still, you know, saw a lot of those films find their way to platforms over the course of like two years. And they were in some ways fairly prescient of what was to come. And so it's a, it's a great festival to attend if you really want to get a sense of what's in store for the year in film. And I sure. think we can say that that's going to be the case with this festival, well, most likely. Yeah, I mean, even if you don't get to attend either in person or virtually, if you even just keep your ear to the ground, you tend to get a pretty good idea of what's going to be some of the most notable films of the year to come or the years to come in cases like, you know, sometimes these movies take a year or two to come out. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of some of the most notable movies from the past few years that have come out through Sundance. I know there's like The Witch, uh, Get Out, um, Whiplash, um, what are some other ones? Coda from last year. Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of these, you know, films that either get critical or commercial attention, but even going back, like like something like Blair Witch Project or like, um, didn't Paranormal Activity, the first one premiere Sundance? Mm, I don't think so. I think you're thinking of Blair Witch Project. Let me fact okay. check it. I know Blair Witch Project for sure was at Sundance. That's like where yes. it has. I mean, it's one uh, of the like big Sundance stories. You yeah. Know? Well, yeah, um, I mean, that that's like right up there with like Clerks and, um, you know, Reservoir Dogs and, um, you know, El Mariachi, you know, having like, you know, like coming out of nowhere, costing a couple thousand dollars and then, you know, basically changing cinema as we know it for the decade or two to come. Um, Yeah. And unfortunately, I don't think the festival has had that same spark as they've had since the 90s. But same time, they do, like we say, uh, have a lot of these films that, you know, whether we recognize them in full or not, tend to really shake things up and leave a big impression for cinema in the years to come. So, so I. I fact-checked it. Okay. Paranormal Activity, it premiered at the Screamfest Horror Film Festival on okay. October 14th, 2007, day after my birthday. Oh, well, happy birthday. And it did, it was shown at Slamdance the Slam following Dance. year. So, yeah, you, oh. you were you were adjacent there. So okay, it didn't premiere that's probably at Sundance, what it is. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's what I was probably thinking of. Like, like, good <laughs> good fact-checking, good fact-checking. Hey, we did it. Um, And, yeah, Slamdance is just kind of like a, an offshoot of Sundance. It's dedicated to like emerging artists and it takes place usually like right after. Um, so it's kind of going on like right now, but yeah, it's, it's for like very micro budget, low budget indies, like even more indie than Sundance. And that is something interesting about this year that I wanted to bring up because, you know, we're, we're going to talk about what we thought of the year in general for sure. But I, I want to say like comparing the two years, it, there definitely was like, there were a few, there were a few differences of like the kinds of films we saw in terms of like how buzzy they were. So I should probably set the stage here a little bit, right? So what what are some like, what, what is your like your typical Sundance film? I think there are like a few, um, Sundance is kind of interesting because you can sort of like scientifically categorize a lot of these films. Obviously there are tons of outliers, but I think there are some sort of like, movies you would expect, like this is, mm. oh, this is a Sundance movie, you know? Like, yeah, oh yeah, this State. is that. Um, 
One of the most prominent is uh, Sundance is considered by a lot of people to be the best film festival for documentaries. A lot of the best sure. documentaries tend to come out at this festival, which I yes. love because I love documentaries. Well, and they're yeah, there are two types of documentaries, like two main types we tend to get at Sundance. Um, there's certainly a bunch that fit where we are. There's like the pop culture curiosity documentary. So like this year, that includes like the Kanye West you know, documentary. Mm-hmm. You know, we had the Taylor Swift Mistress Americana that one year. Also this year, you know, we had Princess Diana a documentary for her. We had a documentary for uh, Lucy. I love Lucy, Lucy and Desi. Uh, we also had the one of the big ones was uh, the we need to talk about Cosby, the Bill Cosby documentary that's, I think, like just premiered, actually. So it's like back and back uh, Showtime release. So like that's one kind. The See, other kind of. Oh, go ahead. Well, when you say a curiosity, I was thinking more like didn't Tickled premiere at Sundance? Well, like, yeah, yeah. I was going to mention like Tickled is a good example of that. And then also like sometimes you get like, hey, here's here's a documentary about something that happened in like or, the 90s that it's like super specific, like uh, McMillions um, or. Okay. That's kind of what I'm getting at. King of um, Kong is a good example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, there's another one that I'm forgetting. That was super, uh, was Super Size Me. Year. The Sundance. I don't remember, but I, don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. It seems like a Sundance premiere. Yeah, I'll yeah. look it up. Um, there's all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, uh, the Ren and Stimpy documentary, you know, from a few years ago, like it's just like these very like specific, like pop culture things. The other kind of documentary we tend to see, and these are the ones that usually win the prizes are the sort of, uh, political documentaries, the like social progress, social action, your films like boy States and knock down the house and stuff like that. This year, those ones are like to the end, which you just saw. I haven't seen, um, the two two that I want to talk about later, so I won't I won't mention them yet. But they're two of my favorite documentaries of the whole festival. But yeah, we get we get a bunch of those. One of them was uh, Downfall, the case against Boeing, which I thought was a. It's not even that political of a documentary. It's kind of like a mix of the two because it's more about like how you know. I mean, it is political in the obvious sense, but it, it's taking like what happened with the Boeing airplanes when they disappear or like they were like falling out of the sky and like uncovering like what Boeing did to co- sort of cover that up and what led to it. And it's it's a very uh, sad documentary in the sense of like I cannot believe that this happened. But yeah, that that is a very specific type of documentary we tend to get. Am I forgetting anything? Oh, well, the, American I was looking Dr- up- the American Dream and Other Fairy Tales. That was another one I okay. saw this year. Yeah, that's the one about uh, Abigail Disney. The she like mm-hmm. made a film about the Disney right. company that you know is, she considers to be like you know terrible uh, working conditions, labor conditions for the people who work at the parks. Sorry. Yeah, I was interested to see that one. I got a screener for it. I don't know if it expired yet, um, so I Might may be. be able to get a chance to see that later this week. I was definitely curious about it, um, but I was looking up more curiosity documentaries. I did look it up. Um, Super Size Me did premiere at Sundance. So did uh, March the Penguins and like, oh, yeah, yeah, Blackfish. Yeah. Like those movies that like the type documentaries are like, oh, have you heard about so and so that they kind of like build a spark later on in the year and become, you know, back in the day, a big thing or like uh, Inconvenient Truth, I think was also at Sundance yeah. uh, for the premiere. So those are the type of documentaries that tend to premiere first at Sundance and then gain notice or, you know, infamy or whatever you want to call it later on when they premiere later in the year for their a general public another type of film we tend to get uh we do get a lot of indie films which is great you know every year we tend to get like films made 
by filmmakers all over the world. We get really interesting ones about like cultures and, you know, people groups that we don't typically see in films. So it's, it's a great festival to check out international cinema for sure. But there are sort of like the big Sundance favorites, you know, the sort of like crowd pleasing, feel good, not fully art house, not blockbuster, kind of like an in-between sort of film. So like last year that was Coda, you know, one year it might be like me and Earl and the dying girl, you know, that one, I guess, because it was about movies, you know, I think one of the like big examples of this from years ago was like little miss sunshine. Like that's kind of oh, like yeah. a running gag, right? It's like, that is a Sundance movie and like that's- people compare, you know? Uh, I mean, I, I made the joke already, but I feel like Garden State is the type of Sundance movie that yeah. gets lauded a lot when it premieres and becomes kind of a joke later on. Even though, as I was uh, saying in our little Sundance group chat, I still have a soft spot for Garden State. I'm sorry. I'm that it's quite, guy. It's it's a great movie. And I love I, I'm it. sorry. I'm that guy. I like the movie. Me too. I, yeah. We, we I recognize the faults. I, yeah, whatever. I mean, I'm not going to defend any other movies on Zach Braff's filmography. But yeah, same here. Whatever that I can see why people like that movie and fell over, you know, head over heels in love with that movie when it premiered. But whatever. I think we're going to have a lot of fun when we do the Zach Braff episode of Cinema Hall. Uh, well, he has a new movie coming out. He, if you can believe it, he directed a movie with Florence Pugh. Wow. Um, when did they find the time? I know. I know. I mean, like, what, what, what are the odds they found each other? Now, this year, we don't really have like a coda like that, really. Like we have Cha Cha Real Smooth which I have a feeling we might talk about more. That's like the film that like won, you know, one of the big prizes. The audience award. It won the audience award. And, you know, it it got it also like Coda was bought by Apple. Now, Mm -hmm. I I would say that it's it's kind of different, though, from like a kind of Coda sort of movie. It's kind of different from like Minari was sort of that for 2019. Mm -hmm. You know, these sort of like A24 adjacent movies. Yeah. I mean, Minari was A24, but. Yes. I mean, I don't know. I I don't see quite the, the big differences that you do between Coda and Cha Cha Real Smooth. And we, we were having an argument earlier. I proposed the idea that Apple would at least consider buying Cha Cha Real Smooth, considering that they bought Coda. And you're like, oh, no, that's preposterous. Um, <laughs> I did not say it was impossible. <laughs> you just really how would that even happen? You correctly like, it's, predicted it's, that. I just I don't know. I To me. Something about Cha-Cha Real Smooth, it seemed maybe I misread the film or something because I did not take it as like the sort of like it is lighthearted, I guess. But I don't know. I, I didn't get the sort of code of vibes. I didn't get the sort of like this is this is something like when I think of like Apple stuff, I tend to think of like this. This is a bit more of like a more a semi more serious NBC sort of production, you know, yeah, and that's what Cha-Cha Real Smooth is, is basically, it? in my opinion, in my opinion. I mean, what? Could you okay. not see an audience who's really into This Is Us? I guess I guess I see it more as like a, an FX sort of thing. I don't know. I yeah, I'm not quite sure where you're coming from with that. I I think it makes complete sense, but I don't know. We'll we will we will be talking more about Cha Cha Real Smooth. I mean, that is one of the most talked about films of the festival. And sure. Uh, yeah, other than that, I mean, we there tends to also be sort of like a, we tend to see like more stories uh directed by women. Um, in this festival than yeah. many other festivals, which is really great. Sundance is a, a better track record. Still, I don't think it's like, you know, at that level where it's like as like statistically like equitable as it should be. Well, but, yeah, I was going to ask. You know. Yeah, because I was going to ask, because I mean, at least for me, I noticed that 
uh, tallying all the movies I saw, I saw more movies directed or co-directed by women than men this year. And I don't know if that was because of the movies I picked or saw it or saw, or if that was because the festival included more films directed or co-directed by women. You should program film festivals, Wash, and you're clearly good at it. I think you're... Uh, well, no, you know, no. I mean, just like, it's not, I'm not... I'm not bragging about it. I'm asking. Like, I didn't know. I know you're not bragging, like, but, I, you know, I'm still impressed. Sure. I just didn't know. Because last year, I think it was mostly the opposite. Like, I mean, I saw quite a few films directed by women, but it was more men than women overall. And this year it was significantly the other way around. So I didn't know if that I was hear what you're saying, yeah. That was me. Yeah. 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 And I think I think this year, one of those one of the bigger films uh, that was directed by a woman and had a little bit of buzz behind it was Am I Okay? Another Dakota Johnson movie. She, Dakota Johnson and Cha Cha Real Smoosh, also in I'm Okay. And that's the mm-hmm. uh, directorial debut of Tina Taro. And I think her, her wife is like a co-filmmaker, Stephanie, worked on the screenplay. Yeah, she's also, yeah, no, they both directed the film, yes. They both directed it, okay. Yes. Uh, Stephanie something, I can't remember her Stephanie, last name. Stephanie, um... We're gonna look I, it I up. Think- am i okay aline stephanie aline alan aline yeah it's spelled a-l-l-y-n-n-e and it was was written by lauren pomerantz so okay that's which now uh, now we have the full picture this was like a sort of comedic film a kind of like a romantic dramedy that's that's what i was searching for there there Mm -hmm. tends to be uh, there are a lot of sundance films that are romantic dramedies Right. Last year was like sure. together, together, sort of, although it wasn't very romantic. But Am I Okay is kind of the same way where it's more about like a platonic yeah. sort platonic of relationship way. with like romantic yeah. implications. Yeah. It's like playing into the romantic comedy tropes or subverting them, I guess, but not indulging in those expectations overall. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't go yeah. as far as saying subverting, but I would say like it plays with the tropes. Like it's well, aware that you know of the tropes. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe not so much with Together Together, but I definitely think that's the case with Am I Okay? Because like, there are certain characters in this movie um, that, you know, like Jeremy uh, Fowler's character, he's like kind of playing into the expectations of the like quote unquote gay best friend character. But the joke or like the, the twist in this case is that he's actually straight and he's the partner of one of the lead characters in this movie, but like the, his mannerisms and like the way he plays yeah, the yeah. character is like what you would expect from a gay best friend stereotype in a romantic comedy. And it becomes not really subversive or progressive, but it's like a twist on that expectation. But yeah. It's a little bit of a, a quirk. Yeah. It's something that you could easily miss, you know, um, I mean, which kind of makes me sad. You're not watching the after party, the Apple show, which uh, kind of like, it, it's I mean, I'm not playing with film genres and stuff like that. I'm not avoiding it. I just have been knee deep in Sunday. I got you. I mean, mean, it did just come out. I'm not shaming you or anything, but so, yeah. So all that said, there, there clearly is like a certain type of energy behind Sundance films. Let's talk about actually experiencing the festival itself this year. Now I kind of alluded to this earlier. Sundance since last year, starting with 2021, has had an all virtual format because pandemic started March 2020. So obviously pandemic, you know, pre-pandemic was 2020's Sundance. Uh, It was like the only like that in Berlin, like the only major ones that, you know, still were like kind of normal. Now, starting with 2021, Sundance did it all virtual and it was a little different last year. Last year, uh, for those of us who are accredited and do it through press, last year was interesting because we were we had like an unlimited amount of like, you know, premieres that we could do well, on their schedule. 
there is a limit, but like basically you'd have to like not sleep for a week to yeah, yeah. surpass Well, that that's the thing. It's like you could do them one after another, right? Right. And so you could like start one and then, you know, you had a window and you could literally, yeah, just program watching movies constantly every day. But then that you had a limited amount of second screenings. And so second screenings are just sort of, you know, the, they're the films that like already had their premiere day, but then you have a, you have like a second chance to watch them later. So like, if you didn't watch something the day that it, it premiered, maybe you got some buzz. People were like, Oh, Hey, you know, you should check this out. Like, you right. know, and then yeah, you're like, I mean, Oh cool. I'll reserve that. And then you have mm-hmm. a more flexible time window. Like it just becomes yeah. available for a couple of days and you have a couple of days to start a five hour window to watch it. It's, that's how it works. Yeah. I mean, the big one, at least for me last year in that case was summer of soul, which premiered the first day. Um, I was seeing like, flea and coda that day so i didn't catch it when it first premiered but everyone was saying like oh man summer soul is like an amazing documentary you gotta watch it so the next day the code i you know scheduled it for a second screening and obviously got to see it but yeah that was a good uh good find at least in that case totally yeah it can really work work out yeah work to our favor uh when we do it correctly for sure so this year was a little bit different because sundance wasn't originally going to be virtual only. They were going to have an in-person festival in addition to online. So you and I, we were always planning to do the virtual component. We weren't going to be going to Park City. And a lot of people were, though. A lot of people were going to be going to Park City, Utah. They were going to be going to the screenings. And they kind of built in this advantage to people who were going to the screenings because you would be able to like do the unlimited you know, quote unquote, unlimited premieres, um, and then also do your second screenings. It just depended on the festival, like, you know, if you could get in, you know, because when you're there in person, you can go, but, you know, you can kind of just go whenever, but you have to wait in line, depending on like the level of like your press pass, like you might be in a certain line and then like other critics get like, or critics and industry people might get priority. And if they run out of seats, you don't get in. And it's a very stressful way to do Sundance. I'm not going to lie to you. The virtual component is way more democratic. You know, you really have a lot more opportunities. Now that said, they, they canceled the in-person because of the Omicron variant and cases were shooting up early January. And so they were like, okay, we're not going to do it. And so everybody had to do virtual. And Mm -hmm. what that meant was they still had the like built in system for limiting the premieres and uh, they didn't go back on it. You know, they were just sort of like, yeah, you, you have, uh, I think it was 10 premieres that you can do. So fewer Mm -hmm. premieres than second screenings and you have 15 second screenings. So all in all, you have the capacity to watch 25 films. And if you're like a film critic, like you or me, that's 25 films we get to cover as press. And then if we want to watch anything else, we have to ask for screeners or we have to buy tickets. And mm-hmm. I bought some tickets um, because I, I you know, yeah, you bought one. I bought like mm-hmm. three or four and oh, it gets expensive, you know, yeah, for sure. I was going to say if, if they were cheaper tickets and I understand why they're not, but they were, I would have indulged a little bit more, but uh, because they were like 20 something bucks, um, I decided just to get a ticket for nanny, which I missed during the actual festival run, which I probably would have done as the second screen if we had more of those available, but alas, obviously that wasn't the case, but yeah, it was hard. Yeah. We had to, we had to draw the line in a lot of cases. And mm-hmm. that, that is one thing I want to, I want to get your take on like the experience. This is your second year and you've only yeah. done it virtual. I want to get your take on this because for me, I feel like we're, we're kind of like this year, we kind of lost like something that I really like about Sundance, which is the, like I said before, that sense of discovery, that like That's freedom and flexibility to like watch a movie just because like it happens to be on and you don't know if it's going to be good. You don't know anything about it. And I was uh, alluding to this as well. 
we both had to prioritize all of these films that were the buzzy films because we had to see those because those are the ones that like with casts we recognize with directors we recognize but most of the time like i'm noticing with sundance those are never almost never my favorite films of the the, the festival my favorites tend to be the ones i didn't see coming and i unfortunately like that wasn't the case this year because i think we had a overlook a lot of those kinds of films in order to do this. Now we did have like second chances and third chances and fourth chances with those tickets. But yeah, I'm curious, what, what did you think? Cause this is only your second year. So how do you think it compares? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to complain because I had a good experience with Sundance. I didn't have any technical issues um, ultimately. And I got to see a lot of films I wanted to see, you know, through the press pass and for free. So I'm definitely thankful for what I got. But I was wondering, like you mentioned, when the uh, festival became all virtual, if they're going to kind of tinker and make it so similar to last year, where we would have a little bit more wiggle room to see more films, kind of uh, allow ourselves to have uh, more opportunities to, you know, kind of find those discoveries that we did last year or have the, you know, wiggle room to kind of uh, see things that we might be in like, yeah, I'm kind of curious about that film, but I don't know if it's going to be any good. See it anyway and find out that, you know, it's very good or amazing or something. And like you said, this year we had to basically prioritize the films that seem the most in line with our interests, not always knowing whether or not they'd be any good, but just like, well, if I don't get to see this, I'm going to kick myself. Cause you know, I, I really like this filmmaker. I really like this actor. I really like so-and-so with this. So, you know, I mean, a lot of films like, uh, like watcher, like, I don't think I would have prioritized that in a festival like last year, which, you know, didn't get awful reviews or anything. But, you know, when I'm scheduling my when I'm making my schedule for this year, I'm like, oh, Micah Morosa movie. It's a new kind of thriller movie. Is this the next it follows? So I got to, you know, make sure I get that one on my list or, you know, um, 892. This is the last Michael K. Williams movie. I don't want to miss that. And it has John Boyega in it, too. I really want to see this. And, you know, as the festival goes on, neither of those movies are awful. I think those those are fine. But, you know, when it's all said and done, I'm like, would I prefer to have seen those movies over the or what was it? Uh, Descendant? Uh, Descendant, one? yeah. Yeah, Descendant or like Aftershock or Nanny, which I obviously got to see later. But if I could have had the chance, maybe I would have prioritized that one if I had kind of seen where the tide has went with the festival like I could last year. And, you know, like, um, you know, I mean, I got to see a lot of films I liked. I mean, we'll talk about those in a little bit, but I feel like I didn't have the chance to see something like this year's. All Light Everywhere, which I really loved last year and obviously was in my top 10. And that was the type of film that obviously going into the festival, I didn't have any expectations for. It was like really dying to see. But when I heard it was so good and I went to see it for myself, I got that discovery that you're talking about. So I do. There's a there is a feeling that like I kind of missed something this year because I wasn't as uh, able to find those kind of little films that really spoke to me or that seemed off the beating path that in a traditional film festival setting I could find. But at the same time, I did find a lot of films I liked. And I, I do think I enjoyed or at least appreciated more movies than not this year for my, you know, 20, 30 something films. So um, I'm definitely thankful overall. But at the same time, I do feel like compared to last year, I didn't get as many films I outright loved uh coming out of this year's Sundance. Yeah, I mean I I have to echo, you know, that sort of feeling of being like, it's so cool that we get to do this. You know, it's so cool that we get to 
watch as many of these films as we get to watch for free as press. I mean, obviously free in the sense that we are writing reviews, we're working, but just the sense that we have that access, especially in it because a lot of people don't have that same access. Um, and that's obviously something to be aware of. And that said, I mean, it, it is one of those things where I'm just like, I can't believe we get to do this. This is such a fun experience. This is something that I think um, I always look forward to now. Uh, this is my fourth Sundance. And every year I just feel like I'm, I'm absorbing more and more, you know, rich filmmaking, more and more like filmographies and directors, new and old, who I either didn't know about before I did, I, you know, didn't know enough about, you know, and it's just such a, an important time of the year for me as somebody who like, I'm always wanting to like, I love that. I love the process. Like I love watching all these films back to back, just hardcore binging all these movies it's hard because we just did that in december to sort of finish our year endless but you know we love what we do so i think that it it all works out in terms of this year versus last year i definitely think uh, very similar to you this is one of those years where it's weird because i didn't dislike that many films i think last year i disliked way more films than i did this year i don't know if it's because and i think i saw about the same amount that I did last year. It's like one or like margin of error is like one or two, but which is kind of interesting, <laughs> you know, like, and I think it's a lot of this because I was way more active about screeners because I knew that I, I had a limit and because I watched more awards winners with tickets and all that. But that said, I'm, I'm looking at like everything I saw and like, there are a few films where I'm just like, yeah, I, I that was not for me. I, I really wasn't clicking with that movie, but there weren't a lot of movies where I felt like I was wasting my time or I felt like, oh, you know, I could have watched this instead. Kind of similar to you is like, I did get to see like everything I wanted to watch the most, which is great. And not something you can say for every festival that can be really hard to do actually for other film festivals. And so I, I'm pretty happy with how things turned out. Obviously there are a few, you know, films left over that I I'm still excited to see at some point that I, I hope I can. But I guess the only thing is that, yeah, there's no one for the road this year for me. There's no crypto zoo. There's no summer of soul, just like more of like a transcendent kind of film for me where I'm just like, man, you know, there are a couple of films I really, really like, uh, you maybe even love and they're up there. But yeah, I'd say that like there are two or three films from last year that I like more than all the films I saw this year. So it's it's kind of interesting. But I did mm-hmm. like how this year went in the sense that like I liked most of these movies and I got a lot out of them, you know, across the board. I feel like the sum totality of like all of these films is probably better than last year for me. Like last year, there were some films I saw where I was like, oh my gosh, like I just this is not for me. There's like this year, you know. We, we like, I think like across genres, you know, and, and Sundance isn't known for having a lot of genres outside of horror. That, that was actually another Sundance film we didn't get to. We talked about documentaries and the dramedies and all that, but horror is another, like the midnight selection for Sundance is a big, big thing. You get a lot of really great horror films from this festival. And last year I thought that was something that was pretty lacking for me. I, I didn't think that it was very strong. You know, the movies like censor broadcast interruption and knock, knock. And like, I I didn't really click with any of those movies. Whereas this year, there were a few that I was like really into. Resurrection, you know, is one that wasn't my favorite, but I thought was pretty interesting. And, you know, not not a straightforward horror film. Yeah. Elevated horror, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, good movie. Yeah, really. There was there were some good horror ones here. Now, uh, and I know you you saw Speak of Evil. Uh, Speak of evil or speak, speak, speak no evil, speak no yes. evil. Yes. 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 Uh, which, yeah, I know a bunch of people were in it. I didn't see speak no evil, but yeah, it's but good uh, movie. probably my favorite yeah. of them was probably fresh. I, I really enjoyed fresh. It kind of yeah. stuck with me. Uh, 
weirdly, I mean, like, I feel like Fresh is the type of movie um, where all the components of it I liked. I was pretty enthusiastic when I wrote my review. You can read it on cinemaholics.com. You know, I enjoyed the experience of watching it. I think I would prefer not seeing it at, like, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, but that's neither here nor there. Um, But, yeah, I mean, like, it didn't stick with me in the way that's, like, oh, wow, like, that was, like, an amazing experience. But it's not, like, the type of film where it's, like, I think it's technically improficient or anything. I don't think it's quite as... um, quite as deep as it could have been it felt like more of like a flash in a pan than like a like oh wow like you know really deep metaphor for for what it's trying to say but i enjoyed it and i definitely i mean i i'm favorable on it and i i think we'll talk about it more probably when it comes out because it's going to be yeah yeah uh on hulu in a month or so but you know i yeah i i feel like that's the type of movie it's like right in the middle for me where it's like I enjoyed it. It's technically proficient. It's entertaining. I think people are going to enjoy it when it comes out. But, you know, like I said, flash in a pan, sort of like enjoy in the moment. It kind of evaporates after that. There, there is actually one other. Or there is actually one other movie to that on that note that it's not as like straightforward in terms of the horror of it. But Nanny, like which you already kind of name dropped. Nanny kind of it kind of hit me pretty hard. I, I wouldn't say that Nanny was one of my favorites, but yeah, that's that's a film about like a a young woman from Senegal who is like tr- becomes a nanny in New York. I think it's New York. And, you know, she starts to have like these premonitions um, built on like her guilt of leaving her son behind in Senegal while she's like caring for this other kid. And yeah, some of the imagery in that film is like really like fear inducing, you know, and there's a lot of like really good, like really rich stuff there. Um, so Nanny was quite good. Now, all that said, we, we've kind of dipped our toes into the into the films so far. Let's let's kind of cover our tracks here. What what did we see numbers wise? So at this point, and, and you and I still have a couple more films we might squeeze in over the course of the next few days. But at this point, we're recording this. We each saw the same amount of films unintentionally. <laughs> it just kind of worked out this way. But yeah, we, we each saw 33 movies. Um, right. Well, semi intentionally, I guess I'll say because. You were you um, competing? No, no, like, no, no. Oh, it wasn't Johnson, in the sense that like I gotta. No, what happened was um, we were going to record earlier, and then you're like, you know what? I'm gonna watch Exiles. So I was like, you know what? I'll also watch a movie because <laughs> I'm just sitting around not doing anything because I thought we were recording. But yeah, if neither so, of us had done that, then we would have been the same, right? So <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I did squeeze in Exiles right before because I was like, I really I, the Exiles was one that um. I was kind of thinking like, ah, you know, I want to see it, but I don't want to see it so much. But I was like, okay, I'm where did you um, where did you land on the Excel? Because I watched it yesterday. I, I was kind of disappointed by it, actually. Uh, I thought I, it was uh, it was good yeah, sorry, enough, go but it was yeah. like it was one of those things where I thought the the subject of the documentary was way more interesting than the documentary, you know, and it sure. it just kind of dovetails into being a different documentary that I think is also yeah. interesting. But I don't think it's like perfectly justified in how they executed it. I think it was a good idea, like when they were doing it, they were like, Mm -hmm. hey, this is where the real story is. It just didn't work out for some weird reason, even though I think the filmmakers are quite competent from all appearances. So, yeah, I I mean, I think I think the issue is that like she is like an idol to the filmmakers and that comes through and it's a mm -hmm. little bit too like she's the best, isn't she? And I'm just like, yeah, she's a great director but you right. know i want to see a documentary please right i mean that's why i kind of wondered about it too and I, I wondered if that was also why it won the main prize because like the first half of the movie or not the first half the first like 10 minutes of the movie are like literally talking about sundance and talking about her yeah and being like 
man, she's awesome. Like, and you know, the movie, it makes a good case for her, you know, if she's yeah. really cool. I think it would have been a, a better woman. short documentary, honestly, a documentary short, but who knows? But yeah, I mean, it did kind of feel like it was like two documentaries at once. It's like a movie about her and it's a movie about the topic that she's been trying to make a movie about for however many years. Right. And, and it's like, you know, it, well, hey, yeah. yeah, like make that documentary by all means, but you can't do it like with this sort of half attempt. It, that's how it came off, at least to me, which is sad because I do think that the filmmakers did a lot of work and I think that they tried really hard and they're quite talented. So it's nothing mm-hmm. to say of their skill level. I just think that it's a hard topic to to wield the way that they do. So that said, that's, you know, <laughs> a little bit of a tangent. Now, between the two of us, we each saw 33 movies. Uh, I saw 33, you saw 33. A lot of common films between us, though. We saw a lot of the same films. There were, I want to say, 11 or 12 films that are outliers. So movies that I saw that you didn't, or films that you saw that I didn't. Um, Those films include, I'll just run them down, um, Aftershock, which I saw, Girl Picture, The American Dream and Other Fairy Tales, which was mentioned before, God's Country, Descendant, Lucy and Desi, Brainwash, Sex Camera Power, Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, Downfall the Case Against Boeing, We Need to Talk About Cosby and the Princess. And then for you, Will, uh, I have here, I think this is right, you saw Nothing Compares, which I haven't seen, Sharp Stick, the Linda Dunham thing, Second Chance, Living, Speak No Evil, which we mentioned, Palm Trees and Power Lines, The Mission, The Cow Who Sang a Song Into the Future, great title, uh, Klondike, To the End, and Neptune Frost. Now, I want, I kind of want to, before we like dig into stuff, of uh, the ones that I mentioned, which, which, the ones that I've seen, which one do you want to see the most? Um... Based on uh, your enthusiasm for it and the fact that I almost had a chance to see it and then timing didn't allow me to see it, I think it would have to be Descendant. Yeah. Or is it? Yeah. Descendant. That's the one I would recommend to you first. Yeah. It's like Descendant um, and Good Luck to You, Leo Grande and Aftershock are like the three. Yeah, those are the three. Those are three of the big ones for me that I was like, I wanted to see them. I contemplated seeing them, obviously. Um, didn't work out for various reasons. Uh, and uh, yeah, because I, I imagine uh, Good Luck to You, Leo Grande is really up my alley. It just wasn't when I read the, the, the synopsis for it, I was like, yeah, it's, it doesn't. I don't know. seems like it's going to be kind of kind of dumb, but. Yeah, obviously it got great reviews. So I was like, I, you know, should not, I should have, uh, you know, listened to my head instead of my gut on that one. But, you know, <laughs> it's it's not uh, amazing, but it's just, so it's Emma Thompson. Um, I forget the actor's name, but he's kind of, he's more of a newcomer. I don't know how many things he's been in, but it, it's kind of, it's a bottle episode. It's, it's my dinner with Andre, but my dinner with Grande. And I, I just think it's, it's a very Sundance movie. I'll put it that sure. way. And it's, it's really well done, really well written, really good dialogue. It's, it's about sexual yeah. repression. It's about, it's about a lot of things that I think are very interesting. It's not right. my favorite of the fest, but it's one of those but, movies where of the ones that I did see, I'm like, I feel like that one would probably click with you more than the others. Sure. Because I, guess, I think, you yeah. know, some of these are a little bit more like the documentaries are like, I think you'll get something out of them, but I don't think that they'll rock your socks, you know? Like, I think Girl sure. Pictures and Girl, God's Country are also kind of up there as movies you might find interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then also, um, one that I was really close to seeing uh, was Happening, which I think got the Golden Lion from Venice. Yeah. Uh, came to the festival, not as a premiere, but, like, as a second showing. A spotlight uh, feature. I really wanted to yeah. see Happening. Yeah, it just yeah. didn't quite work out. 
Um, I asked yeah. for a screener and they nada, nothing. Same here, yeah. And I was going to, I was going to use that as my last second screening, but I missed like the timing. I thought the day was gonna, it was gonna expire the day after, then the day actually expired. So I ended up doing something in the dirt instead, which I don't uh, begrudge because I actually liked that movie a good bit. Um, I like that one, but I, I like the endless more, and I think that something in the dirt. The I really like those guys, yeah. but okay. that movie was just a little bit much. And by the end of it, See, I was like, I I'm like glad this it. is over. I, I, I really okay. got sick of it after a while. See, I, I, I do think I appreciate it more in retrospect than completely <laughs> while I was watching it. But I just admire the real tenacity of it. And I do think it is a pretty entertaining, funny movie uh, in its own right. But, it is funny. Uh, I, yeah. And it's funny in a way that I wasn't expecting. Like, it's dry humor, but then every once in a while it becomes, like, really, like, a different kind of humor that I liked. So, yeah. But also, like, I know enough of those, like, kind of conspiracy nut people that it's, it's the, the idea of, like, poking fun at them enough to where it's not, like, ballooned too far from the, the strain of believability, but, like, enough so that it's, like, outlandish and goofy. I, I thought it was right. uh, a balance that they, they really pulled off quite well and and also the fact that they so far as i can tell they're not actors right like the directors like when they star in the films are not traditionally actors before this movie well they and were I, they, I think they were both in the endless they look kind of different now but to be clear i, I have not, not seen a, the previous films the endless is one of those movies i can't believe i saw in a movie theater it's that indie but um it's it, it, they, they clearly have like a mode that they're of like interest, which that film is also about like rituals and conspiracy theories and cults, you know, like clearly like this is like a, an evolution from that film. The, the endless though was a more straightforward narrative. Whereas this is like kind of what you're alluding to. It's a semi satire, you know, it's really like mm. poking fun at this sort of thing. It's poking fun at stuff that they've done and kind of relished in already. So I, I appreciate it on that level, but I think like as a film, there are so there is a strikingly small group of people I would recommend it to because okay, I just I don't would, think uh, most people will get it. I don't think a lot of people will like it. I, I don't know if I would agree with that, but I can see why you feel that way. For me, I feel like it's in that kind of same boat as under the silver lake. I don't think it's quite as good. Yeah, but... I know. Oh, that's exactly it. Cause I know some people who like under the silver lake, exactly their jam, but most mm. people know. And, and like, you know who you are in that sense. I don't know. I feel like Under a Silver Lake got a pretty good response, though. Like, if it, maybe it's because the release it got, was it so got a louder response from a certain type of person, though, right? I feel like most people who see it are sure. just like the heck, but then the people uh, who do appreciate it are just like, man, this is good. I guess so. I mean, I think maybe that had to do with the release being botched so badly. I feel like if that got maybe a traditional wide release, the response would be more all over the place. But I think the people who wanted to see it saw it out and liked it. So maybe it just sure. seemed like more people liked it than I'm giving it credit. Um, I mean, to this day, yeah, the, I mean, yeah. the, the episode of Cinemaholics where you talked about it with, I think, was Corey. it Matt or Corey? I don't no, remember. Corey, Corey Woodruff, yeah. Was it Corey? Like yeah. that episode, I think like people have mentioned it. I've just like, when people are looking for conversations about the film, I've seen like what I'm doing my whole, like, are people talking about us? Like I've mm -hmm. seen on Reddit, I've seen on Twitter, like, oh, Cinemaholics did an episode of Under the Silver Lake. Check nice. it out. I like that. I mean, that's good to hear because I, I thought that was a pretty good conversation between the two of us. Um, I thought it was okay. It could have it could have sure. used more Matt Serafini. That's true. I mean, any, any episode of Cinemaholics could use more Agreed. Matt Serafini, to be honest. But anyway, um, wh where would we, what were we talking about before? Well, I think, I think the, the next thing, because, yeah, the movies something that I dirt. said Sorry. that you wanted to see, I, for yeah. sure, Descendant, Aftershock, both documentaries, Good Luck to You, Leo Grande. Of the uh -huh. films that you saw, I'm really curious about The Mission, and I really yeah. want to see it. 
Uh, I'll probably see Speak No Evil when it comes out. I'm not like chomping at the bit. I'm only interested think... in seeing Sharpstick because of your reaction oh, yeah. to it. The new oh, Lena man. Dunham film. <laughs> oh, I mean, gosh. Lena. I mean, I I have so much to say about that movie, and okay. I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to ever get around to saying it, but. Um, I like the movie. I, I I almost against my better judgment, but um, I will say for the mission, I think you'll like it. I don't want to set your expectations too high because I don't think it fully comes together well enough as it should. And I think that's, I'm not expecting it to be great. I'm just kind of like really interested in it as a documentary. So like I just kind of want to experience good, it. Yeah. You know, I mean that's the type of documentary I really enjoy getting out of Sundance, where it's like. Personally speaking, I don't have a lot of experience with the Mormon religion or, you know, like, see, yeah, I, missionaries I don't have like direct that. experience, but I know a lot of people who come from that walk of life and I've talked right. to a lot of people who've gone through it. And so right. I'm always interested in those kinds of documentaries that are getting into like that sort mm-hmm. of like, hey, this is a thing that is like happening in America that doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, right. And it particularly in like Utah. Right. Like, I, mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, interesting that, like, we weren't able to see this in Salt Lake because, yeah, when you go to Salt Lake City and Park City, like, not, okay, not everybody's Mormon, but, you know, it's the Mormon capital of the world. So, sure. you know. Which is probably one of the bigger reasons why it got selected for the festival, not to say that the Marathon movie aren't there, but I'm sure that played a big part in it being accepted into the festival this year. But yeah, and I, mean, I have complicated uh, feelings about all that. I don't want to disparage any Mormon yeah. listeners or anything like that. No, 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 I'm not. You know, I'm not doing that. I hope at all. it didn't I'm, come across that way at all. No, I mean, I'm, that's not what I intended either. I I want to make it clear that I, I think any film festival, they have you know outside of like what they want to show, they have other factors at play, and that's not so much because of the 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 people involved, but rather it's like if you have a hundred plus something movies that you want to show, you can only show fifty of them, and you're like, okay, like what is our audience most likely to want to see at our festival? something like that where there is a key a key audience locally that wants to see the movie it makes sense that they would pick that film like that it just it's logic absolutely know. yeah, yeah. I, I i just bring it up just because like there are a lot of mormons in america and there are a lot of mormons all over the world and i just feel like mormonism is just one of those things that people just are not comfortable like talking about or talking to like mormon people like it's just it's just one of those well, things that a, i want more yeah. like communication you know what i mean Right. And I understand and like, this documentary yeah. doesn't do that necessarily, but I haven't seen it. Well, but. no. Well, you say that, but like, I feel like the movie does take good steps as far as like allowing me to understand the Mormon religion more. Oh, that's like, good it's, to hear. Okay. I mean, that's what I really enjoyed about it, I think. And that's why I feel like I'm more supportive of the film than some other people I've talked to or read as far as like, they, it seems like the response has been somewhat muted. And I feel like I can understand why, because I don't think the documentary fully comes together uh, in a concrete way. But I, I feel like the cinema verte style that it favors is really effective as far as like getting us a naturalistic look at this religion in a way that I feel like a lot of movies and media haven't because they just don't really want to. Yeah, I think that's they, they don't want to really, like, yeah, step on toes and you or know whatever. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what the reasons are. I just feel like we haven't got a lot of media that explores this religion yeah. effectively. And I think that's something I find really commendable about the movie. Um, and that's re- one of the main reasons why I wanted to support it. And I, I wrote a review and it'll probably come up this week, but that's something I get into there. But um, did you did you uh, see the yeah. Book of Mormon to play? No, I want to. It's just that, you know, I, I, I've heard it's great. Um, tickets have always been like 200 something bucks and it's just I'm 
I, I I'm hoping it someday is cheaper. It's like Hamilton, <laughs> okay. you know. Clear. I mean, it's it's obviously not like an indicative, you know, sort of like thing. But yeah, it just, it just that is obviously like the polar like extreme, right? Of well, like I mean, I've Mormon seen, understanding in America yeah. or like understanding of that whole thing. Well, I mean. I've seen the South Park episode where they talk about Mormons. And, yeah, you know, yeah. Like they do like, you know, that dum, da dum, dum, da dum, you know, that whole thing. And yeah, I've, I've seen that. And I think that's, you know, kind of painted a perception of Mormonism for better, or for worse, with American culture uh, significantly. So, you know, yeah. OK, now the, that said, all that said, the one that I want to see probably the most is Palm Trees and Power Lines. I don't Good know movie. really much of anything about it and i do know that you saw it i know a bunch of people saw it and liked it uh i think it won uh, at the, least one award i forget the which director one. award i believe the director right? okay yeah or one of the director awards yeah something along those lines um but yeah i, I do want to see palm trees and power lines it, it was one that i probably would have seen instead of the exiles but the tickets were sold out so uh but oh, yeah it, you know a lot of these movies we're talking about too we're going to be like, we're not going to talk about every film here uh, because we now got, let's get into our favorites, but you know, we're, we're going to be mentioning well, these films off and on over the next year. That's the beauty of Sundance. But yeah. I think, I think we should just get into it then. Um, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm glad you brought up Palm Trees and Power Lines. Cause that is, I think one of my favorites of the festival. Oh, is it? So oh, maybe we can start with that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Let's talk about, you know, no particular order. What are your, what are your favorite films? Uh, I guess we can start with that one if you want. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's not my top, like, that's not my number one film, to be clear. But um, it is, I would say, probably top five or close to it. Um, I really thought that was, it's a hard watch. I mean, I don't want to, like, uh, you know, I want to get that out of the way immediately. It's a very uh, harrowing film, given the subject matter. It's basically, you know, like, the I've heard it described as, like, the serious version of Red Rocket from the female perspective. And I think that's not... Entirely Wait, was is, Red but, Rocket not serious? I guess not. No, but, but I, I mean, mean, like, if you just want to do like a baseline based on a recent thing example, that's probably sensible as far as like how to describe it. But the the film itself is just I, I definitely understand why it won the Best Director Award, because um, it, the way the, the plot plays out, it doesn't do anything that I think people want to expect. But it's all about like the little nuances of it and the way that it just so effectively showcases all the like red flags that go into this type of relationship, this very icky sort of relationship. But it's done the way that you also understand the main character's perception and and you you get a kind of complicated look at her because it it avoids like oversimplifying her or making her overly like uh innocent or whatever that people might expect from something like this but at the same time like obviously she is being you know victimized and she obviously is in a very predatory relationship and it's done in a very sort of uh naturalistic and as i said before harrowing way and the performances really uh do a lot to command that as well so i mean i don't think it's like an amazing movie or something that's like, I don't think it's going to be in my top 10 for the end of the year or anything like that, but it's one I'm sure I'm going to be thinking about a lot as the year progresses. I don't know who's going to pick it up for release or anything like that. Um, I could see like a 24 or somebody picking that up, but um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a hard sell. And I, I can imagine that's probably why it hasn't been picked up for distribution yet, despite the good reviews and the awards that it's gotten so far. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's one that it really stuck with me and I feel like uh Ending it, uh, or it was like my last official Sundance film, and it it, it was uh, a good and bad note to end on uh, in all the ways that you would expect. So, yeah, that's Palm Trees and Power Lines. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and, and I didn't even know about the Red Rocket comparison, so that's I guess that's kind of fitting, uh, considering. Yeah, I, I kind of just perused it a little bit here on Letterboxd, and I actually, I think I see the person who said, uh, yeah, is a more serious Red Rocket, but they told, uh, they, they gave it two stars, and so who knows? Who knows what's up with that? Uh, Brian Tallarico from Roger Ebert, though, three and a half stars, and uh, one of my favorite critics, Rafael Sa- uh Ah, can't talk. Rafael Rose. She gave it three and a half as well. So, will you know? Uh, clearly, some people are some people are clicking with it. But yeah, that's it. Like, I, there are only like a few people that I'm friends with on Letterboxd who saw it. So it's clearly uh, not not sparking quite yet. When I first saw the name of the movie, I was like, "Oh, Sugar Cult." Is this a documentary about that album? It is not. Did Did you ever listen? To, do you know that what I'm talking about? You know that song, like, uh, she's the blade and I'm just paper. You don't know that one? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been a long time since I've heard that song. But We were just kids, you know? Yeah, I know. I mean, I didn't make that connection when I was watching the film, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, but I can see why you made that comparison. I mean, it was hard for me not to. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, I'll get into one that I liked quite a bit. Uh, uh, you know, we already mentioned it. Let's talk about uh, Descendant. Uh, Descendant is, I I don't know if it might be my favorite of the whole festival, and I might just be starting with that, but this is the one that I recommend that you see the most, just because as a documentary, it is a little bit more, I think, of the style that I think you tend to favor. Like, when I think about the documentaries that you've responded to most favorably, I think of, like, City Hall. Um, I think about, what was that one um, about uh, the fire in i want to say romania it was like in that club and it was about like the sports the sports oh, journalists collective. uncovered it huh collective collective that was one that was a good one yeah, um that it's was kind also of Sundance like premiere oh yeah you're right so so yeah, yeah like this kind of, this movie's like in that zone obviously it's its own thing too it's uh it's a documentary about this group of descendants of the last American slave ship that came to the States, like stole Africans from Africa and brought them over here uh, to Mobile, Alabama. And for years and years and years, over a hundred years, obviously, there has been this sort of like folk tale or not folk tale. Cause I, I just mean sort of like a, a local, like a regional, like, oral history of what happened that they couldn't be more like forthcoming about just because like, you know, 50 years ago, if you talked about this, you, you know, they mentioned the documentary, like you'd get lynched because this slave ship was illegal. The slave ship happened after the United States banned that. Right. But there were these people like just real sick human beings who I think it came down to like a bet. I'm like, Oh, I bet you, you can't do that. You can't like sneak a slave ship over here and like bring a bunch of Africans over here to be owned, um, quote unquote owned, and then they burn the ship so there's no evidence. And so this documentary kind of starts in that place of like, okay, well, where's the ship? And like, you know, it's sort of like a local curiosity. But as the, the documentary progresses, like more and more you see like the descendants themselves, like they don't care about the ship. They care about the things that have really like, you know, inhibited like the legacies that they're they're clinging to, you know, their their way of life, like their talent, like they had this 
you know, African town and like that is what they called it and how these like factories and stuff have like propped up, they've ruined their communities and just like systematic oppression over the decades, over the centuries has just like brought them down and down and down. But like at the same time, they're like such a strong people. They're such a strong like community of people who are like bonded together by this connection that they have to this terrible human event that like they share trauma for it's it's a powerful documentary it's one of those things where it's just like i i'm so curious about how they even got into it i know there's a q a i haven't seen it yet but uh margaret brown's the director uh she did uh be here to love me a film about towns van zant um which i, I don't know how long it was like uh like a decade ago or something like that. But yeah, clearly, clearly a passion project, you know, something that like took a long time to make and like certainly required a lot of research and a lot of like fact checking. And you just, you just really like you invest so deeply and so instantly with the subjects of this documentary. One of the things about the documentary too, that like is most striking is that especially when it comes to the ship, you see a lot of how to these people, the descendants, it's, it's a pain point, you know, and they're, they're sort of like talking about it and they're just like, yeah, this happened. And then you have like this other group of people, you know, white people of this area who like treat it like a historical curiosity. They treat it like this sort of quirk of history. I was like, wow, this is what we think the ship looked like. And then you see the descendants there and they're just like, yeah, I guess that's what the ship looked like. And you just see it on their faces and they're just like, yeah, you don't take this seriously. You know what I mean? It's like these people who like, there are so many like self-corrections and there are other, you know, white people who are just like, Hey, yeah, I don't think this is something we celebrate. I wouldn't use that choice of word. And like, as you're watching and you're like, yeah, that's pretty messed up. So it's one of those movies that I think that one of those documentaries that I, I think is like really powerful, not for what it's educating, but really like, the emotional undercurrent of it and, you know, how much history is probably lost to us. You know, this is one of those cases where it was preserved, but not easily, you know, and there are probably so many stories out there that like have just been covered up, buried. I know the exiles was kind of about that too. Right. But like beyond that, you know, like this happens all throughout, you know, human history and there's so much we don't know. So yeah, I think descendant is a must see. So I was really into it. Yeah, and, and um, did you mention Netflix picked that one up? Oh, no, I didn't mention that. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be on Netflix. I don't know when it's supposed to come out, actually. I know they, had, they acquired it, but, yeah, eventually it'll be on Netflix, and a lot of people will have a chance to see it, which I'm very happy about. Yeah, I mean, definitely if I had planned things better, I would have seen it and probably shared your praises, but unfortunately I have not seen the film as of now, so I cannot at the moment say, uh, say uh, anything about it. No worries, no worries. Uh, it did yeah. win. It won a special jury award, which I did not mention. Uh, it won the U.S. Documentary Special Jury Award for Creative Vision, and uh, I think uh, yeah, well deserved. Uh, that went to the director and the producers. All right. Well, what else you got? Um. So if I had to pick a personal favorite of the ones I've seen, I haven't made a list or anything yet. I'll probably make that later in the week. Um, just for my own personal sake. But uh, if I were to pick a favorite at the moment, I think uh, it would have to be After Gang, which is an A24 film, which I know yeah, is supposed to come good. out real um, good. sometime later this year. I don't know if they actually have a release date for it yet as of now. I'll look it up. Um, I imagine it's probably going to come out in the spring or the summer. I'm guessing they're going yeah, to... Yeah, I could see either. Yeah, because they probably want to get it in before award season, right? 
Because yeah, it already I'm, premiered I mean, at Cannes last year. If I if I were a betting man, I feel like they'd probably want to release it around the same time they released Ex Machina back in like 2014 or 2015. I think it would either, yeah, to what you're saying, it would either be the spring or it w- it could be a 24 summer release. They they tend to release something either late July or August. I doubt it would be the July one, though. I forget what else A24 has in the docket because this doesn't seem like that kind of movie. Well, well, July was the release date for Green Knight, right? Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, but this so is definitely like not I'm, that kind of film, right? Because that Green Knight was more right. genre. What's I'm saying? Uh, this I is genre like- too, but yeah. So sorry to interrupt, but we actually just found out way after we recorded this, the morning after, that there is now an official release date for After Yang. Obviously, that news hadn't broken yet when we recorded this, so I just wanted to add that here after the fact, so you are aware. After Yang, it is coming out March fourth, twenty twenty-two, in theaters as of right now. And so that's why in this next part, you got to keep that in mind because we didn't know that at the time. And so obviously we're speculating about something that we now know, which again, March 4th, 2022, give it up to Will because he he guessed accurately that it would be the spring, even though I thought that would be kind of weird because they have two other films coming out in March. But what are you going to do anyway? Back to the show. Well, it's like that sci-fi where it's like in the service of the character and the mood and the tone of the film, which is similar to Ex Machina. Not saying that this yeah. movie is quite the same tonally as Ex Machina, but that's probably the the quickest comparison because it is that sort of mature, kind of grounded sort of sci-fi where obviously it's like this futuristic world and these kind of far out concepts, but the story itself is obviously favoring a a sort of a muted characteristic approach, uh, a very humanistic approach, uh, which is a little ironic given that the movie itself is about Colin Farrell trying to make peace with his uh, kid robot um, no longer functioning and having to kind of carry the burden of not only uh, holding the grief for that, but also trying to process how to relay that information to uh, his own young daughter that he adopted uh, and also how he's on really kind of honor the the legacy of Yang, who is the, the robot in question, because there is like this museum that is trying to basically acquire him for preservation's sake, because he has basically like a hundred years of memories, information stored in his bank. And it's like, you know, can we basically take this and use this as a way of, you know, educating, you know, uh, future the, the future of humanity as far as like what this uh, what life was like, but also it's just like with that cheapen Yang's existence, because like he did have feelings, uh, he did have connections to people later on. And it's just a very thoughtful, meditative film, but it has these so many grace notes and so many moments of purity and warmth and heart and it's just uh it's it's a really gratifying film in that sense like it's it's the type of film that i mean i was liking it from the get-go but by the end of it i just found myself uh more moved than i think i really anticipated and i joked with you that um it is basically a24's bicentennial man which i use in a flippant sense but i also kind of feel like it is like what if bicentennial man was good you know what i mean like it's like Ooh, uh, what if like that cut are you coming to bat for Bicentennial Man? No, but I do think it's it's, it's directed pretty... by Chris you're, Columbus, you're... the father of Violet Columbus, <laughs> who directed The Exiles. It's it's just a pretty uh pretty harsh, but you know what? I, I'm not sure. I'm not stopping you. 
Right. I mean, I don't like if I were to compare this film to the, some of the movies I feel like were in my top five from the last Sundance, I don't know if it would have cracked them. But at the same time, I just feel like it's also the type of film that the more I sit with it, the more I kind of stew with the film, I will probably grow like it even more. And I should have mentioned earlier that this is um, I don't quite know how to pronounce his name, but it's the Coconata. director of Columbus. Coconata, yeah, his, his follow-up to Columbus, which also premiered at Sundance back in 2017. Um, I actually got the chance to watch that film for the first time last year. They showed it as part of the um, like testing process. Like, So for the virtual festivals, they have a film that they show you basically to make sure your tech equipment is okay. Last year it was Columbus, and then this year it was the incredibly true story of Two Women in Love. I think I'm getting that title correct. Um, which I don't know if you got a chance to see. That was actually a pretty good film. Um, no, no. If you, it's good, yeah. Came out in the 90s, a very sweet film. I don't think I would have had a chance to see it if it weren't for those circumstances. Sounds but, interesting. But, I mean, Columbus, yeah, nice, yeah. I mean, we've talked about this. Columbus, I think, is one of the best films made in the 20-teens. Like, it's, it, I think oh, it's wow, one of the top okay. 10. Yeah, I, I actually think this one I liked a little bit more Columbus. But I like Columbus a lot, too, to be clear. Um, but I just think he's getting better as a filmmaker, and I'm really excited to see where he goes. I hope he keeps collaborating with A24, um, because it seemed like they gave him a pretty sizable budget for this, but it doesn't feel like it's like yeah. an expensive movie at the same time, but it feels like, like the perfect amount of budget for this film. And you, you can see the money on screen, but it doesn't feel like it's like, you know, like, uh, it, it doesn't disservice what the film is saying ultimately. And, and also I should mention, uh, you get a moment here where Colin Farrell does a beautifully and surprisingly accurate impression of Werner Herzog that is uh, <laughs> worth the price of admission alone, but the movie itself is already pretty tremendous as it is, so that's definitely been, I think, the highlight of the festival for me is After Yang. I'm already itching to see After Yang again, because I think I'm still processing it. I, I don't know what it was about this movie, but, like, I had a reaction to it. I don't think I ever have to, like, movies, which is I don't know genuinely what I think of it. Uh, like I have such a weird emotion with it that is like unfamiliar. And like, like I said before, I think Columbus, I, I could watch that movie a million times. I, I just think that it's so profoundly good. And I think this one is too, but I'm just having so much trouble with it. A lot of the things that like stick in my craw with it. Um, I don't know if it, if it's in a bad way or a good way, but like Jody Turner Smith is in this movie and uh, Jody Turner Smith, I've, I've interviewed before, like really cool person and somebody who like, as I was watching, I was like, I feel like this performance, there's something behind this that I, f I just feel like there's stuff in this movie that I'm missing that I want to like totally fully understand. And I'm really into it. I, I really love the aesthetic of it, the sci-fi world building of it. I love the story and the performances. Mm -hmm. I think the writing is really good. Like there were yeah. times when I was pausing and I was like writing down the dialogue. Cause I was just like, this is mm -hmm. poetry, man. But right. um, the thing about the movie that I think throws me off and I don't understand how I feel about it is Haley Lou Richardson, because as the okay. listeners who listen to this show know, Haley Lou Richardson, one of my favorite actors, I think she, like one of my favorite young actors, She's so fantastic in everything I've ever seen her in, even in crappy movies, like five feet apart. She, she takes, she single handedly takes that film and turns it from like a four into a 6.5. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's a little generous, but I can <laughs> admire your enthusiasm. I think. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Sure. No, I think Haley Richardson, uh, a wonderful, wonderful actor, wonderful young actor. And 
Um, what, what she's able to do with facial expression and blocking and how she like takes dialogue that like anybody else might like infuse almost no emotion into. She infuses emotion into without even trying is, is really interesting to me. And I really like the young, the young performance in here too, from, I don't know how to pronounce your name, but, uh, Malia Emma Chandra Wajija. I, I don't know how to say that correctly, but she plays like the young girl in this. And like, typically when you see like kids in these kinds of movies, you're just like, oh, you know, like they're just kind of bratty, but she's so believable. Like she's so like authentic and real and like, all this stuff comes together for me, but there is just something about After Yang that just doesn't sit with me yet. And I just feel like I think I need to see it again. That said, I did some fact checking. I looked into A24's slate, Will, and this is what I'm seeing. So uh, I think we, we both know that they have that one February film that's coming up, big film, um, called The Sky oh, uh, is Everywhere. The Apple TV Plus film. Uh, yeah, it's an Apple original. It's going to be coming out uh, in time for... Valentine's Day, but this is the latest yeah. one from Josephine Decker. So a lot of Who, a lot of attention on it. Jason Siegel is in it. Grace Kaufman, yeah. bunch of people she, that we like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, speaking of Sundance, I mean, Madeline's Madeline and uh, Shirley, yeah. both I think Sundance films, right? Uh, Shirley was Shirley Sundance. I guess I it was, too. huh? Yeah, yeah, was it was. It was. Uh, for yeah. some reason, I had like South by Southwest in my head for it, but no, that was twenty twenty Sundance because I I missed it at Sundance. And I think I saw it later. Um, and then X. Um, the next Mia Goth and Jenna Ortega, Brittany Snow. I, I really want to see X. I don't know how you feel about it, but that's coming out in March. So like we literally have skies everywhere. February a month later, we get yep. X and then, and then the, a week later after X, I'm seeing a release date for everything everywhere all at once, which is mm -hmm. really confusing to me. That's the new uh, Michelle Yeoh film. Um, the Daniels. Yeah. The did, Daniels uh, made it. And Swiss I thought army that man. That, yeah. Yeah. The Swiss army man guys. I thought that was going to be coming out like, early summer maybe or like late summer but no, no that's, that's march spring. 25th yeah that's why i'm thinking i'm thinking x or next next i'm thinking after yang is probably going to be april may and then when you finish saving the world i don't know be because June, they July. also have well okay i'm going i have or like a August, list here the yeah. next thing is marcel the shell with shoes on yeah and i wonder if I that's that going to be, be the april i think that's like the august release well they don't have an official release date it's it so Mar marcel the shell with shoes on and after yes. Yang, and when you finish saving the world, another Sundance right. movie. I think that's they're June all TBD. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. And we we haven't talked about when you finish saving the world. That's the Jesse Eisenberg uh, written and directed Which we both film. Saw right? We saw that film. Yeah, I, th I saw when you finish yeah. saving the world. I thought yeah, it, I did too. I liked it better than a lot of other people. I think a lot of people said like yeah. outright disliked this one. I thought it was solid. I, I you I know liked I, it. I had issues with yeah. it, but I was kind of like, yeah, you know what? They passed the time. I like Julianne Moore and Finn Wolfhard in this. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when I saw it, I was like, yeah. And then in the weeks or the days since, I've been kind of like, oh, oh, yeah. Like, it didn't really, like, stick with me much. Like, I enjoyed yeah. the time watching it. I like seeing Jesse Eisenberg's impression of, like, early 2000s Noah Baumbach. Like, he's kind of yeah. channeling that um, squid and the whale energy. Um, but I feel like it didn't really, like, steep deep into my skin. Like, I enjoyed the time. I think Eisenberg shows promise as a filmmaker, but didn't. It didn't make like a lasting impression for me, especially in a festival setting. It it makes choices that I respect quite a lot in terms of like making up. Uh, it makes up like dialogue quirks for Finn Wolfhard's character, uh, Tara Lift all the way. 
And it, it does something kind of like the, with the idea of like live streaming and being sort of like an internet celebrity and how that can be so cringe yeah. when you like collide it with like the real world sure. uh, that I thought was interesting. It doesn't yeah. fully come together, but I do think, yeah, like you said, it kind of a solid debut. And I think people mm-hmm. are being pretty harsh on it. I think possibly because people had higher expectations than I did maybe. I don't know. But well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I know some critics were really high on it. I know David Ehrlich was like really high on it. I think Robert oh, Daniels yeah. was also really high on it. I actually um, kind of forgot a couple of people actually liked it. <laughs> Last time I was yeah. looking at Letterboxd, I saw a lot of twos and twos and a halves. But yeah, you know. I don't think it's that. I, I think it's your prototypical like three out of five. Like it's solid. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Didn't really make a deep impact on me. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure like most people who see it will like not regret seeing it. You know, they'll be like, oh, that was kind of cool. But yeah, all that said, I think that based on the order that they have this, I could see Marcel the Shell with Shoeline being like an April or May probably April and then after Yang being their summer thing. And then when you finish saving the world coming in after like maybe in the fall, but Possible? I don't know. I, I could be totally wrong. I, I wonder I mean, they could be saving both of them for award season, which I, I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, weird question, but is Marcella show, is it like a kid's film? Technically? It, I, I don't know much about it. I mean, I know the YouTube video, that it's right? That's on. what I mean. Yeah. But, like, but it has a like, good cast. Yeah. Right? right. So like like Jenny Slate and Rosa Salazar. So I don't know like what vibe it's going for, but that's why is I think it, that it's more yeah. of like a summer thing. But at the same time, right. or like a late spring thing at the same time, a 24 does like to put stuff out in the summer that they have for words, like mm-hmm. your Zola Zola's of the world and eighth grade. And you know, like they tend right. to come out with that stuff well, in the summer. Last black man, in San I Francisco. Just, yeah. I just, I'm wondering if like, if Marcel, if Marcel, the shell has, a wide audience appeal, not only for like a 24 fans, but like families, if they're going to push that in the summer when kids are out of school and stuff. Yeah, maybe. I don't and know. And like after Yang, they're going to push in like, like, like that early summer, late spring category. Cause it's like, it's not like a blockbuster, but it's kind of nice counter programming from whatever is going to be coming out. But see, this if summer. you're going to do the counter programming thing, I don't think June or early July is the way to do I'm it. I think it's April, early maybe. August. Huh? I think in May then. You think I yeah. could see it may, but it would have to be like, I but think then, early may, but then that's why I'm thinking when you finish saving the world is August, because that's like people want to see it sense be- for that movie. Yeah. Like August, September, like that Gloria Bell area where it's like, it's notable enough because of the stars involved and people yeah. will see it, but it's not like something that people are going to be rushing out to see. It's kind of just like, Oh, like we want to beat the heat and see something. Let's oh, see. It's this the kid from the stranger things. Right. I know that I want to see luck. it. That's, that's my headspace. It could be totally wrong whenever they announce their category. Finn Wolfhard. Yeah. He was in it. Yeah. That came out in September. I want to see it. That's what's going to happen. So, uh, you know what? A24. They know what they're doing, A24. I don't know if that's true. Sometimes they make decisions with their release dates that I don't understand. But that's why I am not a film executive. What if they just release all of these in like December? Yeah. <laughs> like they just dump them all in December. <laughs> One after the other. Oh, yeah. I know that I know I, I got to expect that they have some films that they're going to be announcing for like award season this coming year that, you know, stuff that's going to be premiering at Cannes, stuff that's, you know, Berlin and all that. It. I mean, they got uh, the Aronofsky joint coming up. The way that going to be this um, year, though, or next year? Yeah, I think okay. it's this year. That yeah, seems like this year, it's got to be like end of 2022. Oh, yeah. Then I think they're going to save that for like Venice Tiff and then that premiere it in like November or whatever. That's my guess. Well, OK. So after Yang, we both really liked it. You liked it, uh, I think, a little bit more than I did. But I don't I don't even know. I, I, I could by tomorrow. 
it could be one of my favorite films ever. I don't know, but okay. I'll, I'll say my next thing. Um, okay. I guess we can talk about cha-cha real smooth because I really, really like this movie a lot. No, it's time to get funky. <laughs> it's time. You just love that. Don't you? Um, this, so this won the audience award for us dramatic and, so this movie, I think just Cooper Rafe, I think he just has my number is all it is. I think he's making movies. He's like a male Sally Rooney in the sense that like he doesn't know I exist, but he's helping me out a lot. And didn't, we, I, didn't we say that Joaquin Trey or whatever the guy, worst person in the world, isn't that? Didn't we just designate him the male? Oh, yeah, Sally we did. We, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, we got to we got to be a little bit more. Uh, I, I have to be a little bit less. Uh, I'm like handing these awards out left and right. You know, it's just like you're Sally Rooney now. <laughs> no, no, but um, and I think Worst Person in the World is a better film than this one. To be clear, but I actually I really really like Cha Cha Real Smooth. This is one of those movies. This this is a crossover. You know, like I was talking about in that video. This this is a movie that like it has the trappings of an art house. You know, it's got like craft you know, or at least like some craft, but it's really trying to hit some mainstream appeal. It's really trying to like click with a lot of people. It's kind of like a, you know, an elevated, if we can have elevated horror, we can have elevated TV movies. How about that? And this is Cooper Rafe, who he stars in it, but he's the director. His last film was a movie we did talk about on Cinemaholics once upon a time. And it's, it, the name of it is a swear. So I am going to say it. So if you have kids, you know, oh boy, it's time to teach Cover them a word. Uh, innocent, precious years. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Shit House is his first film, and I really like Shit House is a film that I still think about it. Really? I think that uh, some of the quirks in that movie, I just uh, it just works. Yeah, like it's pretty it, good. It, it's it's I, I think the whole thing with the dog. I don't dog? know. There's something about the way that Cooper Rafe <laughs> screenplays that I just I, I, I resonate with. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I I really wish I shared the enthusiasm you and a lot of people have for this. I think he's a super talented guy. I don't think that's uh, I think that's pretty undeniable at this point. The dude is like is he like 24 right now? Like he's like, He's early 20s. Not I don't even, think I'll yeah, look I it up. I think you're not, right that he's 24, but I could see maybe 25. I don't he's know. He's not 24, though, he's like 23. I mean, the dude has two movies under his belt. He's like the American Xavier Dolan or whatever like he's just like uh just pumping these movies out at a really young age and making movies that like you mentioned have screenplays well, they're low budget movies you know he's not right you know so but, he's yeah, 23 I mean, they're, they're very thoughtful very earnest like I think he emulates a lot he's young so he emulates a lot of his idols I think in his filmmaking but oh wait sorry sorry I he think, was 23 as of uh, 2020 because this is an old thing. Right. He's he's 97, so he's 25. He's going to be 25 this year. That's why. So I you were right. He's, so he's 24. Yeah. Unless he already yeah, turned 25, right. which is unlikely. I don't know. I mean, whatever. He's 24, soon to be 25. Uh, you know, come on the show if it's wrong, Cooper, and we'll talk it out. Um, I want to be friends with Cooper Rafe. Sure. When you become friends I with John, you, you, you can correct us when, when you come on the show. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I can see why he hits the right notes for a lot of people. I think he makes pretty good movies. I, I, I think he puts a lot of himself into these movies. He's very sincere as a filmmaker and as an actor and just as a person, I think. He just seems like a really hard in the sleeve sort of dude. I don't think he's made a movie yet where it's like hit me squarely in the feels in a way that's like 
truly transcendent in the way that it has for a lot of people. I think this movie gets closer for me than Shithouse, but I I feel like I'm not quite there with him yet. But I can see why other people are, and I'm not trying to take that away for anybody. But this movie, it was pretty surreal for me at least because it hit. It had a lot of the things where. It should have been like my ticket should have been like a 10 out of 10. It's filmed in Pittsburgh. It's filmed in my yeah. hometown for sake. The climax yeah, you were of the movie. recognizing like exact locations. No, I mean, the climax of the movie is my community center parking lot. And I'm not talking like Pittsburgh's community center parking lot. I mean, like my actual hometown where I grew up. It's like a suburb of Pittsburgh, right? Right. So, like, yeah, I like was looking for you in the movie. I was like, all right, where's Will Ashton? I don't like legit. Like, if you ever come to Pittsburgh, I can drive you to the spot and be like, that's where yeah. Cooper and I would just, I, I just imagine you're like walking down the sidewalk unintentionally in the movie. Like, maybe right. you have like a bunch of books from the library you just <laughs> checked out, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, I, like, you joke, but like, literally, that location is two minutes away from my library. So, there you go. Like, not even joking. <laughs> not even joking. Like, it's that close to where I live. Um, and it, ha- it features a primarily. Uh, well, not primarily. It does feature an autistic character, which is obviously something I really respond to and recognize in film and stuff like that. And so, and I also tend to really like coming of age films from multi hyphenate. So, yeah, your your perks, uh, of, yeah, perks of being a wallflower, you know, graduate, sure. you know. But this movie does so, not have your heart. Yeah. I mean, I like the movie. I think the second half is stronger than the first. I think, as you've probably mentioned already, I think. It's a smarter movie than some people are giving it credit. Like, I think some people are seeing the multi-hyphenate, like, the dude is acting, writing, directing, producing the film or whatever. They're like, oh, this is an ego trip. Like, this is a guy. That's the surf, who's in that's his a superficial read. That's the sort right. of like, oh, I'm just going to not engage with this film whatsoever mm-hmm. and bad right. faith, you know, put a bunch of stuff on it that isn't, that is there yeah. if you are barely paying attention. But I yeah, mean, there's way more going on. It's, is some of that in the movie? I mean, sure. Like, I don't think anyone who is like acting, writing, directing their movies at 20 something doesn't have an ego some on some level. Sure. But I think Cooper is very self-aware about his image and himself and what he wants to say as a filmmaker and what he wants to say with his characters in his films. And I think in this movie, like it goes out of its way to kind of subvert that Sunday thing where it's like he wants to be the life of the party but like anytime outside like the initial inciting incident where he tries to do it he's like a mess up you know like he he, he does a bad job basically like he doesn't read the room properly and all this stuff and he's like trying to figure himself out in the process and this is very deliberate stuff that I feel like if I guess some people are just overlooking or choosing to overlook I don't quite get it but like I, I mean there's more to it than that but I feel like the, like that's the thing people keep bringing up where it's like oh like everyone wants to like be him and think he's so cool and he's like life of party stuff and the movie goes out no. of its way if you like no <laughs> that's, that's not, not it. it at all <laughs> right no because i think i so this movie is about a guy in his early 20s he just got out of college and he's aimless you know he just moved back in with his parents and he you know he's working at like a fast food place he's sharing a room with his stepbrother and his stepbrother who's still in like what middle school uh, because he is now going to like bar mitzvahs with his brother and like he gets like a gig like as a party starter as somebody who like gets people to have fun. And that's the thing is like that's pathetic. It's like the movie sets him up to be very pathetic. The first scene sort of establishes that he's very aware of the fact that he like he's willing to embarrass himself, you know, in order to express himself. And the movie is sort of about how he learns to not always do that. To, you know, to sometimes have self-control and have restraint, but to not always 
put yourself at the center of everything. Like it's literally what the movie is about. And like people are looking at it and they're just getting a totally different read, which is their right. But I do think that this movie does two things that are really important to me in terms of what I want from films or I want from more films, which is give us really positive stories about masculinity. There just aren't enough films like this. And I talk about this so many times on Cinemaholics. I'm a broken record at this point, but if this is the first time you're listening, I think that the men, particularly in America, American men have a lot of problems. And a lot of it, you know, we're victims of. A lot of it, we perpetrate ourselves. And a lot of it comes from our culture. It comes from the movies that we watch and the things we tell each other. And I think that a positive instrument of change is for men to talk to each other and for us to like make things for each other and to like have like hearts to hearts with each other. And I think doing that through film is a beautiful thing. I think this is one of those movies. It's why I love it because I would show this to my boys. And this is one of those movies that like just normalizes the lads, lads. but no, it's it's a movie that like normalizes men being kind of honest about their emotions and like not falling into like the traps of like, Sometimes, you know what, as a guy, you fall hard for somebody you shouldn't fall for. It happens a lot. And this is one of those movies that kind of grapples with that. It doesn't do it perfectly, and I don't think it goes all the way, but I do think that it's a really good, like, introduction to sort of, like, processing heartbreak and disappointment in your early 20s and realizing that you're not all that, and that's okay. And, like, there's just so much of that in this movie, and I think guys need more stuff like this and less, you know, like I love enjoying genre action, you know, I love, you know, like revenge thrillers and, but you know, th- there are also the movies like this, there are movies like, you know, writers of justice that just explore, like we're multitudes, we're guys. Like sometimes I get really annoyed when like it all gets boiled down to like, just men are the worst. And it's like, you know what? We, we do a lot of crap and mm. we, we should be aware of that stuff. Men. But like, you know what, men? Not even once. We're men, not even once. That was the theme of the festival, and I, I'm happy for it. Men, men need a, a humility check, you know, and because we, you know, it's a, we live in a system that favors us, like we're a very patriarchal system. And at the same time, I think that like men, we're complicated. We're emotionally complicated. We're our masculinity is weird. We get mixed messages from everything. Movies are telling us something. TV is telling us another. Our friends are telling us all kinds of things. Society is saying we're the worst. And it's just like, how do you process that? And there's a lot of crap that men go through that, like, I'm not saying is like worse or you know, anything like I'm not comparing it to anybody else's plight, but it is a specific set of problems that we need to sort out. And we shouldn't be like always relying on other people to sort like the other gender to sort it out for us. We should be like trying to take care of ourselves and each other in a communal sense. In the same way that I think I see positive female friendships, I see female communities, I see like this uplifting and this normalization of like women just being supportive of each other. And I want men to be that for each other too. Obviously men can support women, women can support men. That's also an amazing thing. But like, I don't know, is, is any of this making sense? It is, but but I'm kind of chuckling to myself because I'm imagining as you're talking about all this, like uh, your future like bachelor party where like your guys are like, yeah, we're going to bars. We're going to like get messed up. And you're like, yeah, we're going to get messed up. We're going to get drunk. And then like you start putting on Apple TV Plus. They're like, well, what's, what's going on? 
it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a minute, we're gonna put on uh, some some music, and then you're just putting on cha cha real smooth. And <laughs> also, this by speaking of the soundtrack to this movie is extremely extremely effective. Uh, really good songs in this. I downloaded like three, but um, you know what? Well, that you say that, but uh, my bachelor party. Well, can I tell you? Because you're invited. I don't think you're going to come, but okay. you're invited. And mm-hmm. oh, wow. it's, yeah. it's not going to be going to the bars. It's not going to be. That, that's mm. not really my thing. Um, no, no disrespect sure. to anybody who's, at my, you know, I've had friends do the whole, you know, bachelor party up in the in the town. Mm. But like for me, it's like I want to be in a cabin with my mm. boys. We're going to we're going to grill sure. steaks. We're going to drink beers. Nice. We're going to go hiking. Um, we're going to go to like the beach and kayak like that. Th- those are like my favorite things to do with my groups of friends. So that's that. And yeah, no movies, uh, no plans wow. to watch movies, but I think, yeah. uh, that for me is like, I like for me, like my going away parties, like when I, when I moved away from the East coast, it's like sitting around a campfire, listening to music, you know, and, uh, just like, you know, talking, whatever, just like having really long conversations with guys. I think that that stuff is so much fun and it's like, it's edifying. You know, because like when you have, I think like close male friendships, I think are so important. I think they're important. Like if you're, if you're a straight man, I think that you should have a good amount of male friendships because it's good for your partner. You know, like you're not putting all of your emotional weight onto the other person. Now we're kind of getting away from cha-cha real smooth because that movie does not get into this, but I'm just kind of getting off on a personal tangent because I I do think it's important and you know, yeah. Well, speaking of movies uh, with patriotical <laughs> expectations, yeah, yeah. Uh, exceeding their home life uh, and um, causing strife with the new generation, uh, one of my personal favorite films from this year, Sundance, was a movie, and I hope I'm pronouncing the title right, but Utama? I, I um, was going to say Utama, but yeah, probably. It, it could be anything, because I don't know um, Quechua. I don't know how to pronounce that correctly, but that's the indigenous... Well, the indigenous language and the people who live in Bolivia, Mm -hmm. which Bolivia, of course, is a Spanish-speaking country predominantly, but it has an indigenous population that, of course, you know, predates, you know, when Spanish people were, like, colonizing and all that. I don't know the exact history, so I might be talking out of my butt here, but I think that's the case. Well, I mean, the the English translation of the title is Our Home. Our Home, yeah. Um, And this is the uh, debut, I believe, of a filmmaker, and I hope once again, I'm pronouncing his name at least somewhat right. Uh, Alejandro Loeza Gerlazi. Uh, I was going to say Alejandro Loeza Grisi, but I, I could be way yeah. off. Um, I have but no yes. Idea. But um, yeah, I mean, this movie, um, this is probably as close of uh, discovery as I got from this year's Sundance because I kind of, um, I was able to uh, join the premiere somewhat last minute. I have a review. It's going to be up later this week. As I've been writing it and uh, kind of collecting my thoughts of the film throughout the weekend. Um, but the movie itself, uh, it's, as you mentioned, a Bolivian uh, drama, character drama, uh, sort of in the vein of like a like an old, uh, like late in life Western. So I was kind of... Uh, commenting to you it was it's sort of like the type of movies i feel like clint eastwood's been trying to make yeah it's late. a postmodern then, western right you know it's a little bit more even, contemplative about the genre yeah even to the point where it's like you see our lead like walking to a sunset in the first shot like that's like a very it's a very deliberate thing <laughs> yeah yeah that the movie is doing um but it yeah it's just generally kind of looking at this sort of like societal strife where 
there are these expectations um where like he feels like he kind of has to provide for his family like he's lived this life with as a llama farmer uh and uh you know he has been raised and lived a life that's had certain expectations but you see the land that he's like living in it's just impoverished it's just dried yeah. out for a number of reasons not only economically and like environmentally but just like you know like it just feels like it's just this like really uh, like a barren wasteland almost like it just like feels like there's nothing really going on here it's a, it's but, a fascinating uh, if yeah. i can interject it's a fascinating depiction sure. of depression on his part right right oh, it's yeah, not sure. the typical version yeah it, like his depression matches the landscape right yeah and i mean you know what it feeds into each other as well but um he is uh ailing with some sort of disease i don't know if they ever put a name to it but clearly it's life-threatening he's been basically brushing it off uh for however many years at this point or months or whatever it is at this point i think it's smart that they don't put a name to it right because it speaks to how the thing that is killing this way of life is sort of an unnamed disease of like many causes Mm. and implications yeah but um but yeah his grandson eventually gets into the picture he's had a clearly uh difficult relationship with his own son uh for reasons that aren't really explored in the film but there's this uh you know kind of like new uh new blood no blood dynamic here where it's like clearly you know the grandson doesn't under doesn't um really understand his way of living but he respects it in some respects or another he he's not quite equipped for it given his own personal upbringing but you know he he tries to help out he tries to be a good grandson but just you know like that generational strife as i mentioned is just inherently there and that even comes down to whether um you know the main character here should be seeking medical attention leaving the town and doing his thing even though it it seems like the disease is pretty well off at this point and probably gonna kill him no matter what but yeah i mean it's just a really deep fascinating film and i find it so fascinating that it's a directorial debut just this idea of like I don't know. I mean, not to put filmmakers in a box, but I feel like, you know, like you see a movie like Cha-Cha Rose Movie, which is obviously a sophomore film, but a lot of films coming from early filmmakers have, um, you know, f- characters that are younger. This kind of explores like early in life. There are exceptions, of course, but there's these expectations. And this, feel- this film has like a very weathered, mature, thoughtful vibe to it that if I had known this was a debut, I would have thought this was a guy's like, you know, 10th or 12th film and i think that's really a testament to his filmmaking also just the the film that he made in general so i i like this movie a lot i feel like people you know didn't hate it but i I feel like i am more positive than some other people i've talked to about it so far but i feel like this is the type of film that more people see it the more people will respect it and i hope you liked that i think you said you enjoyed it at least so um, I, liked it. I don't know if you're as yeah, I don't know if you're as positive as I am, but it was a um, slow burn. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, for sure. It, you know, slow burns can be hard with Sundance because it, you know, you're going back, you know, it's it's such a fast paced festival. And to like suddenly have to like kind of slow down, it took me a bit to like get into it. it. I did have a little bit of an issue with like some of the dialogue being a little bit too on the nose. Like there's a lot of stuff here of like you know, there's a story about a condor, and it just it just says sure. like the whole theme of the movie to a point where well, I was also, like, um, I mean, you speak Spanish, so you you probably understood the dialogue maybe a little bit better. Yeah, I was I, I was going to mention that. So like, yeah. you know, when the movie starts, it's in the indigenous language, uh, Quechua, which I don't know how to say correctly again. But you know, when Clever, the grandson, comes, he he's speaking Spanish because you know he lives in the city, and that's like, and, and you know, it's revealed that they know Spanish. Like they're not ignorant. They're not like in a corner of the world. Unaware aware of what's going on 
and it's it's a really effective way of saying like they choose to live this life because this way of life is important to them. But yeah, as we find out, like the grandfather is conflicted about like his usefulness and, you know, if he can't do what he does, should he just die? And it's just like, there's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of overt text here that I was a little bit like, I wish it was a little bit more subtle. Um, but you know, I, I certainly like don't knock the film a lot for any of that because I do think that it's a powerful message. And I do think that it's, it's just, it's a little depressing, like it's a little dour, just to like see like a way of life that I when going into the film, I didn't know anything about indigenous people in Bolivia. Sure. Like it's nothing I've ever thought of. I've never seen a film depict Which, this way of life, yeah. right? But that is the beauty of films. You well, that's know, what I was gonna say, yeah. I mean that's I discovery. That I, yeah. Yeah. I mean that's what that's what I love about not only the film festival, but just films in general, is that you can see a film like this where like I have like I mean, certainly no experience with Bolivian culture and and this way of life and just I, I to get that kind of, you know, uh ninety minute experience. Uh and this movie feels also so lived in as well. I think that's also a real yeah. testament to the filmmaker as well. That yeah, it just feels like you're in like a whole other part of the world, quite literally in this case. Um and I yeah, I think it's a really thoughtful, powerful film, and um, I can see why it's not getting like heaps of praise, but I can definitely see this one getting more of a response later yeah. on when people are seeing outside of the festival. And I, I do want to find out, you know, is it as true to this life as it comes across? Is the authenticity really there? Because I haven't seen a lot of films to this effect, I don't know, but I would hope, you know, like as this film gets a more, you know... As people from Bolivia watch it, I hope that we can get a little bit more of like conf, you know, confirmation that's like, oh yeah, this this is pretty true to life and authentic. Yeah. Uh, I got that vibe from the Q and A, but I'm not 100 percent sure, you know. Right. But uh, I, mean, I certainly yeah. am taking it at face value. I I think that the sure. film certainly presents itself believably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it at least feels believable. But like I said, I'm by no means an expert on that, and I can't speak to that to any authority yeah. at all. Um, and hey, it was only but, 87 yeah. minutes, and it, it, it even right. though it was kind of like a slow burn, like I said, it it's only mm. 87 minutes. That was another thing right. of this festival. Not a lot of long films, which I liked. Yeah, those movies, they yeah. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, what, what was it? Like, Call Jane was like two hours. Yeah, that was an like, outlier. Well, the longest yeah. thing I saw was we need to talk about Cosby, which I mentioned earlier, right. which. Uh, I, I, th- I think it's a good documentary. Um, it's more of a now documentary on, uh, series that we're going to be seeing on Showtime. The first episode just yeah. dropped. Right, and I was going to say, yeah. It's, it's quite good. I think that it, it really does something very challenging. It's not one of my favorites, but that was like four hours. So, uh, because it's several episodes of, uh, like, like each episode, I think is like an hour or something like that. And it's, it's a hard watch, but it's like, I, it gave me the full picture of Bill Cosby that I think I needed as somebody who certainly grew up always just sort of like co- Bill Cosby was just always there. It was always just sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, like the Cosby show, Little Bill, Fat Albert, like all these things. The kids say the darndest things was like the big thing when I was a kid. And then, yeah. you know, obviously everything that happened with Bill Cosby happened. And mm. I think everybody was just sort of like, what? And I think this documentary well, is like about that. It's about like, hey, like yeah. this is this is the situation. And it, it like timelines and charts out the mm-hmm. allegations and I, it's amazing to me that people still deny, you know, or they defend him. And I'm just yeah. like, it's not, he said, she said, it's like a hundred people said, yeah, and people, he yeah. said like, how in the yeah. world, I just think people are awful. Like yeah. to, to let, to like defend this man and act like what he did is okay. Or that it didn't happen. It's just like, I don't know. Anybody who thinks that after watching something like this and actually going through this, I just think is a, that it's despicable 
because you were just knowingly, you know, be you know, in defense and like supporting somebody who I think is demonstrably an evil human being who did sure. good things, you know, right. Like Bill Cosby, well, I mean, clearly like we yeah. can't just say who's awful completely, but like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, but like, that's the other fascinating thing too. I mean, I haven't seen that documentary, but I mean, those allegations, you know, there were court records about those going at least back to like 2000, right? They oh, talk man. about that. It, and, yeah. Even beforehand. And right. it's, it's unbelievable, like what what we found out over time, and just like how the stories all relate to each I other. Mean, how yeah. like allegations yeah. going back to the sixties, I think, right? To the sixties, yes, because yeah. the sixties is when he like came, you know, into prominence, right. and you get like a history lesson, you know, like a lot of stuff I didn't know. Like the first thing I knew about Bill Cosby was I Spy, the show, which yeah. I didn't know that much about. But like you know, he was doing stand up before then, you know, and mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it, it was kind of a quick, it was like a meteoric rise. But yeah, the first allegation is while he was making the show Ice Spy, and okay. yeah, the documentary goes from there. Yeah, so I do, I, mean, I do recommend yeah. it. But yeah, it's it's a hard watch. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I want to see it. I don't know when. I I didn't see it at the festival because, like you said, it's going to be on Showtime soon. So I just prioritize things that. But you um, did see Kanye West. You did see well, Genius, a Kanye. Well, trilogy. to be fair. I, for one, I didn't, when I reserved that ticket, I did not know it was going to be on Netflix in February. I, I was under the impression it was going to be later. I mean, I'm not also, blasting I mean, you because I saw Genius. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And I mean, I like the first, uh, I don't know if that's like a film per se or like the first it's like, part. Yeah. It's, it's an episodic kind of thing. Yeah. We just saw the first episode of it, but it's long. It was an hour and a half. So it was long for a show. It, it's feature length. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The first episode I definitely, is feature I mean, length. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about more when we can. I mean, at least I'm going to watch the the next two. I don't know what you're going to do. I can't speak for you. I'll, but. I'll keep watching it. Yeah, but I'm reserving kind of judgment and criticism until I think yeah, it's an I interesting mean, start. But I, I yeah. honestly, like I wasn't fully hooked. And I think that sure. like the main guy in it is just kind of like chasing cloud a little bit. But I Cootie, could be wrong about the that. filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I was kind of wondering about that a little bit, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I have do nothing think against is... him, to be clear. Like, I, I, you know, I'm not knocking the guy. I'm just yeah. kind of like, that's how it comes across. And like, I I've, mm-hmm. I think he does a good job. Like, I'm not, you know, sure. I'm not saying yeah, you can't I mean, do that. I mean, I think the footage that he's able to, to gather is pretty incredible. Right. And like, you know, I mean, just like, you know, I, I think people certainly have a um, image in mind when they think of Kanye West, um, whatever that is at this point. But, uh, you know, just seeing like young Kanye again, like this is before college dropout, like just like him as a hungry artist, just really trying to push himself. It's just, it, it's fascinating just to see in that respect. Um, and I, I am curious to see, you know, like the, the second part I, I presume is going to follow like the, like media, uh, the, the rise, you know, as you mentioned, like of, uh, you know, leading up to probably, um, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, um, and like the Taylor Swift incident and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely one that's on my radar at least. I, you know, I liked and loved the documentary that we saw for it, but yeah, I prioritize it cause I, uh, Kanye West is one of my problematic faves. I, I saw that movie <laughs> okay. and, uh, the Leah Dunham movie within 24 hours of each You're other. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just like, this is going to be my problematic faith. 24 hours, I guess, because I'm yeah, yeah. knocking these two out. So, yeah. I mean, the two the two other documentaries that I would put above that, are, you know, three documentaries. I'll go over quick. Fire of Love, the one where the volcano, volcano yeah, scientist. One of my kind of cool. uh, favorites. One of my favorites from the festival, I think. Unfittingly cool romance. Uh, yeah, we, we'll probably have to talk about that more later. And then also uh, the princess, the Princess Diana one, which... Okay. 
I think I like more than other people do, I guess. But that was just like, it's an archive only sort of rundown of Princess Diana's life through the lens of like the media and the public reaction through the media that I just, I think it's a really good indictment of the media and uh, a good overview of what happened with her. And then the other documentary, uh, I, I mentioned the one about Boeing downfall, the case against Boeing. So yeah, those ones I think are pretty strong. I also, you know what? I like Lucy and Desi, the one, you know, the being the Ricardos sort of double feature fodder. <laughs> I think Lucy and Desi is better than being the Ricardos because I think that it, it's more accurate, you know, and I think like the facts are there and I think it's more fun to watch a documentary and like kind of like going back through like their lives in a more factual format. It's, it's a standard documentary, but it, it has good content. But anyway, I've got a documentary uh, that I want to talk about here. And this is probably my favorite of the entire festival is Aftershock. Uh, there is one more movie I do want to talk about after this, but I, I got to bring up Aftershock now since we're on the subject of documentaries. This one, the U.S. documentary special jury award uh, impact for change. And it's one of those documentaries that I mentioned earlier, where it's like, it's a social issue documentary. It's taking a, a single or, you know, a single starting point for a problem in society, a societal problem that's impacting people. And it's just sort of unpacking it. And the message behind the film, the thing that it's tackling is that young black women and older black women too, to an extent, are facing higher mortality rates in childbirth than white women in America. And like when you hear that, that can be kind of like polarizing, right? There can almost be this sort of like instinctual, like I saw a little bit of this, like people were just sort of not watching this and just being like, well, you know, that data is skewed. Or like people are kind of coming out and not a lot of people, but like, you know, racist people. We're kind of coming out just being like, hey, it's not really a problem. It's just, you know, it's not because of racism. It's because of excuse number one, excuse number two. This is one of those documentaries that I think really takes aim at that sort of thing. And it's just like, no, here's the data. Here are the testimonials. Here's what's happening. Here's what these people are going through where like healthcare professionals are ignoring them when they're coming to them with their problems. You know, one of the most fascinating things about this documentary is how it tackles really like the way that the healthcare industry is prioritizing profit over healthcare. It's prioritizing like C-sections in situations where they're not necessary, um, which to be to be totally clear, like C-sections, uh, this documentary says this, C-sections can save lives, but a lot of times what happens and can cause what can cause complications and death is C-sections that are not necessary and have surgical issues and lead to people dying. And in, in cases where the hospital makes more money from C-sections than they do from vaginal childbirth. And so this is a documentary sort of about how people of color, particularly black people, in America, black women are essentially just like dying by like an absurd rate. Like when this movie, this documentary goes through the data of how America compares to other countries on this, it's appalling. Like it's one of those things you watch and you're like, how is this not, you know, on the front page of every newspaper? I know newspapers don't really, you know, but like in this documentary talks about that. And it's like, yeah, it's in the news. Like there are media stories about it. I have heard about it before, 
But it's one of those things where it's just like people hear about it and they don't do anything about it. And one thing I really like about this documentary is that it's not all bleak. It's also about the action. It's about like, okay, here, here's what people are trying to do. And I found a lot of optimism and a lot of hope in this documentary, but like reasoned hope of like, here are things that like ways that we can reshape the way that the healthcare system works, like creating places and certain communities all over the country for everybody that prioritize like funding and childbirth services that like, instead of like going to a hospital and like sort of being like in a corner of the hospital and not getting the best care, having places that are designed to sort of accomplish successful childbirth rates and really like sink or swim based on that. And it's like incentives. It's about like, it's about economics. It's about things that would lead to people having successful outcomes with childbirth in a way that like, I'm thinking about a lot, you know, like I'm going to have kids, hopefully, you know, we'll see what happens, but like, I'm certainly, certainly in a stage of my life where I think that that is on the table for me coming up and watching this documentary, like really scared me, you know, in a good way. And it really like plucked at a lot of strings of like what people are going through and how privileged a lot of people, especially like me are to like take that sort of thing for granted. And it shouldn't be. It's one of those things that like you don't think is like an issue. Like I I shouldn't say you, but like I think a lot of people in this country don't really like a lot of people who don't see this. Right. And so this is one of those documentaries that I think will illuminate the issue for people like me who were kind of like buried in the sand about it. And so obviously I feel bad about that, but you know, I can't, can't just sort of like sit here and feel guilty. You got to actually like, you know, I want to spread the word about this documentary. I think that people should see it. I think it's a hard watch, but I think it's a must see because I think it is one of those documentaries that like will genuinely be like something in your tool belt, you know, to like sort of promote and to sort of help like spread like understanding and knowledge and information on this issue. So yeah, Aftershock, it's great. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, this one wasn't on my radar until you started hyping it up. So I'm definitely excited to see it when I can. Cool. And then what else do you got? I think we're kind of coming up on our last ones. Yeah, I mean, um, well, I think there there's one film that I think is in our both of our uh, favorites. So I'll probably wait to talk about that one at the oh, end. Oh, I think I know. Cool yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saving I think- that for last. Yeah, I think we'll just save that one for the end. So I'll go with um, my other favorite of the fest. Hang on one second. Make sure I got my list right. Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, the other one that uh, I really liked, um, and I don't think it's one I'm going to be like thinking about a lot throughout the year, and but I feel it's going to be one that's probably going to get considerable uh, awards attention later on the year. And, and a movie that I imagine will get a decent amount of clout later in the year is Living. Which, uh, did you see that one or not? I forget. Living? No. Yeah. Okay, Living's one of the ones you didn't see. Um, yeah, that's the Bill Nighy film that is a remake of um, uh, the Kurosawa film. Uh, is it pronounced Ikiru? Or, um, I think you pronounce it Ikiru. Akira. The 1952 I, film? Yeah, I keep, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, is um, transporting that story to 1952 London. Uh, we follow Bill Nighy's character, who is this uh, mild-mannered, soft-spoken accounting sort of guy who has basically lived his whole life behind a desk, realizes that he has this terminal illness that's going to kill him in six months, and realizes that uh, he has basically not lived the life well-lived. He has uh, you know, feared basically his 
economic stability so much that he hasn't really indulged in what he felt life should be. So he tries to cram as much life as possible within the last remaining months of his life. Uh, And it's just a really soft, lyrical, gentle, moving film. Um, It's not one that's like blowing my mind or anything in terms of like what it pulls off. But there is an opening sequence at the beginning of this is like, a grand old fashioned Technicolor opening that uh, just, you know, it, it just instantly kind of won me over from the get go. And then from there, um, yeah, just really took me by surprise in a lot of good ways. And I think obviously the big key here is Bill Nighy's performance, which is, I think one of his best to date, which is, you know, saying something given uh, the pedigree of Bill Nighy's credibility as an actor. But um, yeah, I think he just really gets a great showcase here to prove why he is uh, an actor of such renown. And uh, he is uh, complimented by some gorgeous cinematography, some really nice, lovely period details, and just a a very elegant, thoughtful, witty screenplay that, uh, I mean, I'm planning to check out the, um, the Kurosawa film later. Cause I actually haven't seen it for myself, but, um, hey, I, we could I do feel an like extra milestone. Is, I mean, it's 1952. Yeah, yeah, so I was going to say, yeah, if you want to, um, bring that back and talk about it, be curious. Yeah, Cause to I see haven't it seen it compare. either, but I'm aware of it for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely want to check it out to compare the films. And I imagine that film ultimately is better, but this feels like one of the rare, you know, remakes that feels worthy of the original film. So yeah, I like that one quite a lot. And, um, I imagine you'll get more play later in the year, given the, the pedigree behind it. I know, um, um, Sony picture classics picked it up, uh, which yeah. makes a lot of sense. Uh, so yeah, that was one that, uh, I quite enjoyed and, uh, I imagine you'll like it too. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested. What you think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do want to see it. You know, I I I don't think I saw anybody disliking it, you know. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those movies where I was kind of like, ah, oh, you know, I feel like I could put this off. But certainly, you know, I I could see myself liking it quite a bit. Um, you know, I like Kurosawa. So I am a little skeptical whenever it comes to Kurosawa and people trying to like adapt his stuff, but it can work out. We we got one good magnificent seven movie, right? So anything's possible. We did get, hey, hey, look, sorry, two. Bugs Life. But okay. I think I think our last one is shared between the two of us. Yeah, which is surprising considering that the buzz around the movie is fairly muted. It's surprising? Is it? Is it? Wait. It's muted? I thought people liked this movie. Should we say what uh, it is? Some people do. Uh, not a lot of people are like loving it the way that I feel like I have. And I guess you are, I'm on my so, letterbox uh, and yeah. I'm seeing some people kind of low rate it so, to, to your point, but yeah. the people who low rated it are not people that I'm usually like, like there are a couple people here I'll say where I'm just like, ah, you know, if they liked it, I'd feel pretty good about that. Other people where I'm just like, that's fine. Um, okay. But anyway, I won't, I won't call them out by name, but <laughs> dual. Yeah. D U A L. I really dug this movie. This is uh, Riley Stearns' film, his follow-up mm-hmm. to Art of Self-Defense. Good this movie, Art film. of Self-Defense. Yeah. I like that one quite a bit with Jesse Eisenberg. Yes. He yes. and Jesse, they're, they were competing this year, you know? Started <laughs> as friends. Not anymore. I, I don't know about that, but uh, this movie stars Karen Gillan, really stars Karen Gillan. She's the star of the show here. Um, also, Aaron Paul, who was not in it nearly as much as I thought he would be, but he makes... He's, he's in maybe like 15 minutes of the film all put together. He makes the most of it. He really does. 
Yeah, I mean, I saw someone or maybe a few people say that his performance looked uncomfortable, but I thought that was like sort of the point. Like he's like this weird like clenched. I wouldn't dude. say uncomfortable. I thought it was kind of unnerving to some extent. Right. But I mean, uh, it's an unnerving yeah. movie. So But that's what I mean. Like he's he's using that like intensity that you would expect for something like, you know, Jesse Pinkman, but just for like this guy who is, you know, this uh out of left field, offbeat. I didn't get any combat Jesse Pinkman from this. No, I'm not talking Jesse Pinkman in terms of like the character, but like this intensity that he brings to a part like Jesse Pinkman. Yeah, there is an intensity. I, mean. I think that it really does match sort of like this movie has a vibe. It has like a yes. sort of like this world is not our own. Like you watch this movie and like you have to understand, I think, right away. And I think a lot of people who are disliking it do understand this, to be clear. I don't think that they're bad yes. faith reviewing it. Well, but I yeah. do think that there is a wavelength there's a sort of like people talk a certain way in this movie that is normal in this movie. Yes. Yeah, a very that is not normal clipped, in the real world. Dry so, yeah. sort of way, manner of speaking. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. sort of like, you know, baby's first Yorgos Lanthimos in some ways. And I don't even, I don't right. mean that as a criticism. I'm just saying that it's like, it's taking an element of that, of his playbook as a director. Mm-hmm. That's sort right. of like something's off and I like it kind of mood. Well, that's what I, yeah, I mean, that's the thing for me is that like I've seen the people who are dismissing it or critical of it. And to be clear, people are allowed to dislike the movie. I'm not trying to take that away. Yeah, we're not going to come down on you. We're not going to crack down. But I've seen the people who are critical of the movie being like, oh, he's just trying to do his like a parody or like a cliche ripoff of uh, Yorgo Lanthimos' style, which I mean, I'm sure, I mean, he's definitely taking cues from Lanthimos. Yeah, I think he's playing in that sandbox, which is totally fair. Like, there's one sequence in here that's, like, directly ripped off from Alps, basically. And there's, like, you know, obviously, I think the presence of the movie, it's, you know, very reminiscent of Dogtooth and Lobster. But But at the um, same time, it has a lot of Stearns in it. I I don't think that it's just, you know, the most junior. But also, like, I feel like similar to how I felt about Apples uh, a couple years ago when I saw that Tiff, I feel like he is using that style but using it for the same way that he is which is making this you know very thoughtful social allegory that it, it, it doesn't feel like he's just cripping the style just for the sake of it he's using that social allegory in a very patient and thoughtful and funny way and i think that's where it feels like a proper tribute to yorgos Lanthimos's style the story of duel is that karen gillen is a hot mess in every sense of the word and she finds out she's going to pass away. It's kind of like taking the theme of, or not the theme, but I guess the plot of, or the synopsis of Swan Song, the Mahersha Ali, Benjamin Cleary one, where she's going to die. It's funny that uh, two movies from this year's festival reminded me of Swan Song. This one and one? After Yang. Oh, yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> not and, as much. I was thinking, well, after Yang yeah. in terms of aesthetic, I guess. Well, yeah. that's what I mean, yeah. Because I, I felt like watching after Yang, I was like, yeah. I couldn't quite put this in the words, but I feel like this is what I wanted from Swan Song. But that's the thing. It's like aesthetic, yeah. So the idea is that she is going to die, so she makes a clone of herself through this company in order to like have a replacement for herself. So her, her family doesn't have to grieve her, but like in Swan Song, that's kind of like a touching thing. It's kind of like a, like, Oh, he's doing this for them. And it's a, it's a drama. It's about family. In this movie, she's just kind of doing it. <laughs> like She's just sort of like, I think this is the right thing to do. Um, but it's like a dry, it's a dark comedy. It's like a very, like 
not a satire, but it's it's sort of like playing off of her sort of insecurities of I'm a person in this world. I haven't done anything. You know, that what is that mood, you know, that you and I have talked about in so many films of like being in your late 20s, early 30s, feeling like you haven't accomplished anything and sort of like doing whatever you can, buying something or putting yourself into something that you think will redeem your like your standing in the world, your legacy. And that's what she decides to do. And so mm-hmm. she has this like clone and ultimately she, we won't say how, but she finds herself in a competition with this clone and she has to like train herself to be able to like overcome the clone. And I think what's interesting about this movie, and I've been chewing on this a bit, it's not something that I think uh, ruins the movie for me at all. Cause clearly I really like it. Uh, <laughs> What is with the clone thing right now? Like, I'm trying to uncover or unpack, like, what is it about cloning that is, like, on filmmakers' minds? Why are they thinking about this specifically? I can make some guesses, like, some educated guesses about why it's something that, like, sci-fi is trying to get into. Of, like, Uh, you know, what's the purpose of, like, an artificial person and humanity? But do you have a thought on that? It's about the duality of man. Or in this case, woman. Thanks, Will. Um, that sure. really helps. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, I think it's this idea of like, especially now in the social media age, I think there is this kind of expectation where like, there's you, and then there's like how you yeah. project yourself. It's who you want to be. Um, it's like the perfect version right. of yourself. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's all of it, but I think that is a key part of why it's becoming such a prevalent storyline in today's culture and social media or just because of social media, I think it's such a, a key thing in most people's lives. And that's something I think a lot of people think about, like there's like this sense that like, we're always have to be like two people at one time, almost if you are online a lot, like probably we are. Um, so I mean, that, that'd be my read of it at least. That was my read, I guess not specific, not super specifically, but like, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how, Oh, not for this movie, but like why clones are so popular. Well, I think for this movie, my mind was less on the social media thing, but more on the sort of more general, more of, cause this movie doesn't really play with social media. It's sort of just like, there is the person that you think you're supposed to be at this age. You know, the person that your family wants you to be, the person that your partner wants you to be. Obviously, social media is something that, like, exasperates that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But this movie is sort of about, like, in a competition between you and your best self, who wins? And I think that's a really cool premise. (laughs) And I think this movie really pulls that off. And it's sort of about, like, what are the things that make us us, you know? And I think think people need to avoid reading the film as a literal sort of, like, sci-fi rendition of like mm-hmm. what if cloning was a thing right. it's not that <laughs> it really yeah. isn't because it's 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 obviously making fun of it you know like the whole idea mm-hmm. of like a duel between you and your clone it's obviously a joke and i just i think people are taking it more seriously than i did which i don't Maybe. know if that's a problem with me or, or I, don't I don't know, know. i mean i think this Different movie is very strokes. funny i mean you know it's, it's so like funny oh my gosh maybe I it's like so a much in this movie Oh, I, yeah, I think it's really funny. And I, I think, you know, the, the script is very smart and very compact. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's comedy subjective, so I can't, you know, if, if people don't find it funny, that's, yeah. you know, that's their battle. This movie have, wins this me, movie, but. I got to say, with the ending. I think. Yeah. The ending, think you don't want kind it. divisive for people, I think. But I think it's right. It's the correct right. ending. I think so, too. And right. I think that it's it would be an inferior film otherwise. 
And mm. obviously we can't say more, but I do think it's, it's cor- like, I don't want to say correct, I but mean, it's good. I think they could have ended it with the expected ending without giving anything away. And I think that would have been fine. Right. But I think it's fine. Though. It, it plays. Yeah. I think it plays into what this movie is for me, which is basically the way I look at it. Like there's a sense that like for Karen Gillian's character, she's not living life to her fullest. If anything, she's kind of like living her life, obviously like indulging in a lot of like fast food and like bad life choices. And so like, you know, just make a lot of choices. And, yeah. Sure. <laughs> but like, there's a sense of like, she's dying and she's not really upset by it because like, she, there wasn't really much life that she lived anyway. Right. But there's this expectation of like, well, her life sucks, but it's like, well, what else do we really got? Like, life is life. Like, we, it, it may suck for us, but we just kind of have to like fight for it anyway because it's ours and it's something that we can claim ownership to. And this idea that like, you know, she, wants to kind of create her narrative, but like the idea, like what people want from her, what people expect from her, even her own family goes outside of her reach. And then like, she's not really like jazz about being in a duel for her own sake, but it's like, well, what else does she really got going for her anyway? And it's like, yeah, you know, like that. Well. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, like, I love that using the Lanthimos style for this is like, it, it takes this obviously very outlandish premise, but dials it back to where it's like it's not really believable but like everyone plays it straight enough to where it's like okay like we're all kind of taking this at face value and obviously mm-hmm. like we're all just kind of expecting to do this and that heightens to what i like a lot about lanthimos movies which is just basically like life of on its face is obviously just absurd to begin with and we just don't really recognize it as that because like we yeah. just live in just like life is just like Silly, and he just plays it where it's just like if you live in the world as it is, like it's not really silly to you because it's just what life is. And I, I think you know the people who take that lesson from his movies, I, I think they tend to favor better than than not. And I, I think that's something that uh, Stearns really captures well with this movie. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think we should really be. Clear. We've mentioned this, but I got to reiterate: Karen Gillan, incredibly good in this. Like I'm watching her in this movie and like, obviously she's, she's clearly somebody, she's been very successful. Mm-hmm. She's been in a lot of great things. You know, I think the guardians movies, the, the Marvel movies have been good to her in terms of like boosting her star power. But I just think this is one of those actors who her full potential is like there, you know, mm-hmm. I see it in this movie and I could see like more and more of these like indie films, like really just letting her blossom i think party's just beginning not a movie i saw i think you saw it though right yeah that's the one that she directed um i think she's a talented director as well i want to see that you know just based Mm -hmm. on seeing this work because i I just think that she's a she's an actor or an artist a creative person who even when she's the actor in a film is obviously like in tune with the human experience in a way that is like fundamentally interesting at least to me. So mm-hmm. yeah, duel's really good. I, and I think that like yeah. people should not be precious about the Yorgos Lanthimos thing. It's okay to tribute mm-hmm. or like sort of, you know, try to like be in that same sort of zone. I want more stuff like that anyway. I don't mm-hmm. want only Yorgos Lanthimos to make films that are like his films. I think he clearly has inspired a lot of other directors and say we want about Riley Stearns. I think that art of self-defense had some particular issues in terms of like how to pick certain things, particularly with uh, the emotion poots character. But in duel, I think that he clearly is like growing. Like I, I see a sizable sure. improvement because art of self defense, mm-hmm. I think is like, a, Oh, that's, yeah, that's kind of a cool movie. That's an interesting, I like that kind of like that it, where I watch duel and I'm just like, Oh man, this is great. So yeah, yeah I'm very into it. Yeah. 
But I do find it odd to your earlier point that like people seem to be more willing to buy into the um, metaphor for that one without any trouble for the most part. But with this one, sure. it kind of trips them up a bit. And I don't know what that is or why that is because I don't know, maybe it's just because like the uh, RSL defense had kind of more of like a Jody Hill, Mike Judge kind of vibe to it more than Lanthimos. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just something for every reason. It just seems like this one is holding some people back and I'm not quite sure why. Cause I agree. I think it's as good, if not better than the art of self-defense. And I think he is obviously growing as a filmmaker. I think it's uh, better. Ways, it has yeah. more moments. Like sure. there's no moment in art of self-defense that comes even close to Karen Gillan teaching Aaron Paul hip hop. <laughs> Let's be real. A lot of good, uh, a lot of good dance moments in the series. Yeah. Sundance thing. Like Karen uh, Gillan. I think, dance. Uh, I think after Yang probably had the best dance sequence. That's in true. Film. That one was jaw dropping. Uh, but uh, yeah, but Fresh had a great dance scene. Yep, uh, yep. Obviously, there's a lot of dancing in uh, Cha Cha Real Smooth. I was dancing watching these movies. There was so much and, good music. I mean, you know, it should come as a surprise, but this is the Sun Dance. Oh, school, there so. it is. I was wondering if you were gonna. Yeah. Okay, okay. Let's finish this out. Uh, <laughs> We've gone over quite a bit. Uh, uh, biggest uh, disappointment? You want to do that one real quick? As long as it's real quick. Um, uh, I can't say Alice was the biggest disappointment. Um, For me... Because I, I didn't summering, have high hopes. Summering huh? was the biggest disappointment. I think Alice I'm was the worst. thinking though. Summering, but I didn't have high expectations for Summering. I, I was kind See, of looking forward to it yeah. because like, it's the end of the tour guy. But at the same mm -hmm. time, I was like, the premise had me sort of like, I don't know about this. And he's coming off of the circle, which was yeah. either. And like 892 and Master, I thought were good. I, I certainly wasn't like, oh, you know, I'm sad that this wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. I thought it was still good. I think Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. I feel like yeah. that movie should have been... One of my favorite movies of the whole festival. Instead, I had so many problems with it, even though I really liked it. it, it it's confusing. And I really love Sterling K. Brown. I really love Regina Hall in it. But that movie was just missing something. It was one of those things where I think that like it's missing one or two things that would make it incredible. But instead, it's just only good. And I think that I'm just sad about it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that movie uh, for, for Hunk, for Jesus Savior. So I feel like it was too broad and it didn't feel quite specific enough in its commentary to really hone in on what it was saying. I also felt like a lot of stuff it was saying was kind of maybe not outdated, but just feels kind of like, yeah, and we, we've kind of done this already. Like a lot of like stuff that's like, I don't know. I don't want to give anything away in particular because I feel like the movie is going to get a fairly wide release, whether it's like through Netflix or Amazon or whomever picks it up. But it just, yeah, it just felt like there was such rich potential with that movie. And I haven't seen the short film that's based on it, but I heard it's a little bit more wry with how it handles the subject matter. And it seems like that was somewhat lost in the process of making it a feature-length film. So, I don't know. That's it my just, thinking as well, yeah. Yeah. I think I um, Watcher was a movie that, like, I didn't have high expectations, but I thought the beginning Looks was nice. so strong that I was disappointed because then the rest of the movie I thought was so weak. Right? And so I was I very mean, sad with Watcher. Looks nice. Yeah. You know, I mean, slick movie, but I feel like that was kind of to its detriment. Like, I think it needed kind of that, that, like grime or something to really hone in on that 70s, mm -hmm. like paranoia thing. To, it has a few things felt, in it, though, where I was just like, oh, gosh, um, it just felt too clean to me. Like, it felt like it was like it needs that dirt. It needs some gruff to it. I don't agree. Know. You won't be alone, which I think I really disliked. <laughs> Even though, yeah. like, ah, uh, I, 
there are things I mean, about it that I think are really cool. And, uh, I, I don't dislike the premise. I think that it's just too Terrence Malick for me, a person who just does okay, not see. respond to Terrence Malick. And that's, uh, that's one of our biggest, uh, points of contention. I, I think don't know so. Why. And, and sorry, to be clear, he, this is not a Terrence Malick movie, but it is. Oh yeah. No, he, not at all involved. I think. No, no, no. But uh, it is like, it's very much in that zone. I mean, I think Malik is one of our most empathetic and moving filmmakers. I know Annoying. you disagree, but um, frustrating. What? I don't know, man. <laughs> Malik moves me in a way that few other filmmakers do. But um, I, under- I, I and I love that for you. But no, this was sure. this was from Goran Stolevsky, um, who um, yeah, he's made a few other films. I, I haven't seen his other ones, but okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm Malik in folk horror character study in the vein of like something like under the skin should have been 100% my thing. And it's like 60 or 70% my thing in this movie. And I, I think that's the film's fault. I don't think that's me. Could be me. Cause I was like 30, like 20 something movies into the festival or whatever, but I just didn't, didn't quite click with it, but I, I liked it, it overall. And I, know- I was like, please God, stop. I'm so tired of you. <laughs> Oh, man. But um, I mean, there was uh, I, I, I mean, I'm very curious to see what the response is. I imagine it's going to make like a nickel and a half in theaters because this is not a crowd pleaser. It's not that different from a movie like The Witch in terms of what it's about, but clearly well, sure. like not made with the same like it doesn't have I mean, the same sort of appeal. I think Focus Features bought this being like, oh, this is our witch. Yeah, we're going to get in on the ground level here. We. They miscalculated. We got ourselves a winner, and they they I think picked up a movie that is more uh, um, what's the word? It, it's more alienating, I think, than The Witches, and certainly less crowd pleasing. Uh, which is you know, I mean, I think most people like The Witch, but I, I still kind of find it surprising that that movie became like a like huge hit because that is a fairly alienating film in its own right. I think, well, I literally, my re- my letterbox review of this movie, I said, would you like to live surreptitiously? And that speaks to, I think, The Witch had a little bit of, like, a pop culture. Like, it broke through a noise and to a be little clear, bit, you know? I mean, I, I like that movie a lot. I mean, obviously, I love folk horror. And you so, love Robert Eggers, uh, don't you? Sure. I mean, I'm very excited for The Northman. He's two for two with you, huh? Yeah. You see The Northman trailer? No, I haven't seen the trailer, no. But I've heard it's oh, uh, quite good, so... Looks looks like a kick ass movie. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, <laughs> but I'm very excited for that film. Has nothing to do with you won't be alone, which is I think a fine film. I can definitely respect anyone that doesn't like this movie at all. I already mentioned a bunch of other films, but uh, I did want to say, in terms of disappointing, brainwashed, sex, camera power. You know, I was kind of ranting to you about it, like before we started recording. Th- this is basically. A, one of those documentaries, it's like a TED talk that they turn into a documentary. And there it's so frustrating because like there are things in it. Uh, Nina Menke's made this. Nina Menke's, she she made Queen of Diamonds and a few other films. She's basically trying to like, she's making an argument of saying how it, it's a film history kind of documentary. It's kind of not in the style of black horror noir or horror noir. Um, you know, like that documentary was sort of about the history of like black horror and sort of how that has like changed over the decades. It's kind of similar to like Disclosure, which is about trans representation, trans representation in films. This movie is sort of about like the male gaze over the course of film history. 
The thing with this this documentary is there's stuff in it that I think is very interesting. There's some really good points made. There's uh, there's some good film sort of analysis going on here, here and there. Half the time, this documentary is nonsense. Like I'm watching this and I'm like, this person, she doesn't know what, like, she's a filmmaker, right? She's made films. She's older than I am. I think it's weird because I think she's smarter clearly than I am. I don't think I'm smarter than this person, but I think like, I don't know what to make of it. I feel like she's willfully sort of like a distorting film history to make arguments to sort of persuade people on sort of this like idea of how she perceives the male gaze, which obviously is a real thing and it's an important thing, but she's like making connections between certain films and female filmmakers too. And sort of like, the proliferation, the like the dominance of like terrible things that are going on in like the Hollywood industry and, but also like rape culture in general. And like, she's trying to like connect things like by force, like jamming things together. I think misrepresenting certain films out of context, there's just a lot of negligence in this. And the problem is that it's for a good cause because I think that it's like the point she's making are right, but I think that the arguments she's making are terrible. And what worries me is that like, I think people like me and you and others watch it and sort of like, you know, I feel like it's preaching a little bit to the choir. Obviously there's way more edifying that, you know, way more that like you and I need to learn about certain things that like we take for granted and like certain things that we don't even understand about the female gaze and the male gaze and all of that. That said, I think that like, I'm speaking for you, but I, f- I feel like your heart is in the right place. I, I want to say that my heart is in the right place of like, we're all moving toward the same goal of like represent representation in film that doesn't like advance things that I think are for the worse. I think this documentary though, people are going to watch it and it's the people that it needs to change the minds of are going to watch this and just not get the message because I think it's so poorly argued. And so that's my take on it. I, I, I kind of have to defer a little bit because I don't know how much of that is an emotional reaction for me. Um, because it's like an emotional reaction built off of an intellectual reaction. And obviously like, I don't perceive myself as the smartest person in terms of like all of this stuff. So a lot of it could be my own ignorance, but I got, I gotta be honest. Like I was watching this and I I found myself really frustrated because I, I really don't want like the good intentions here and like the, the analysis, the the nuggets of really good insight here to be overshadowed by things that I think are just wildly off base. And I really hope people don't watch this and are just sort of like, you know, clapping along and not approaching it critically. That's something that really worries me because I think sometimes my, my guys, my fellow boys can do that because it's easier. You know what I mean? It's easier to just sort of like agree you know, even if you don't really agree and to sort of not engage with something, you know, in a way that is like true to how you're feeling about it. It doesn't mean that you need to like lash out and sort of like speak without thinking. But I do think that like if my personal opinion, I think that if you watch something and it challenges you, you should contemplate it and think about it and not talk about it with other people first, you know, but really like sit with it and process. So I did that with this and I, I kind of came out the other end just really frustrated, but sorry, long tangent, um, brainwash sex camera power, the Ted talk documentary that I did not like. Hmm. Well, that was Sundance <laughs> Sundance, but Hey, one movie, sorry, no one movie we, we didn't talk about. We both saw, and there's pl- plenty of others we didn't talk about that. I'm sure they'll come up later in the sh- show this year, but Emily, the criminal Aubrey Plaza, oh, yeah, yeah. 
I really dug that movie. I thought that was really good. And I like that was pretty not good. amazing, but I really liked it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, yeah. I, I just wish it didn't play out exactly as I thought by each scene. Yeah, that like, was that it was just a felt thing. like it. I like the commentary on late capitalism. I thought Aubrey Plaza was good. I don't think she was like amazing in the movie. I feel some people have been not seeing, amazing, not amazing, uh, but I think certainly a cut above. I think it's like I mean I just not as yeah. good as her Black Bear performance, but certainly like say, more yeah. committed in some ways. Well, I don't know. I just have heard some people be like, "This is her best performance today," and I'm like, "This is not <laughs> compete with Black Bear or Black Bear It Goes there. West." Yeah, those those two are those are still the high pinnacle, but those are really good performances. Right. So the fact that this comes yeah, I mean, close, this is a good one. Yeah, this is a good performance. I'm just saying yeah. it's not her best. No, I mean, and it paves the way, right? Like I think that like she sure. could be doing more fun genre stuff like this. That like this kind of like crime yeah, drama agree. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think this could get a wider, more receptive audience than um, than her previous films. So this could be something like I, I don't think it is on par with Uncut Gems, but I could see this movie being for for her like something like what Adam Sandler was for Uncut Gems, for people like other people outside of like our film niche circles mm-hmm. to be see, be seeing it and be like, oh wow, she can do dramatic work. Like yeah. I didn't see this. You know? She has that recognize. Yeah. She has that recognize. Right. You know that rec- what's the recognition? Like recognition, she's recognizable. Yeah. Like I think she has that appeal. Like I think people see her and they expect something from her. And I think yeah, th- there should be more. She she should get more projects like this that like capitalize. I think on her charisma. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I feel like I think she also produced Ingrid Goes West and Black Bear, but I feel like they highlighted that she produced this movie more than those ones. So Did they? I, I didn't get that sense, you know, but I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. Just from like the like opening stuff and all that oh, okay. before the movie. But um, but anyway, yeah, I, I thought I it was a pretty good it. film. I don't. OK, do you, did you not watch any of the intros? I did sometimes, but yeah, not everything. Sometimes I I was in a hurry. Will Ashton, don't look at me all judgmentally. Sometimes I was well, like, man, I, got, I don't got time. I got to I got to skip ahead. Six I like minutes. those little intros because they give me a little bit of breathing room. Like I can like, I like get my food or like send messages and like, but I also watch them too. I don't want to like make yeah, it seem like I, I didn't pay attention or whatever. I mean, you know, like they gave me enough breathing room to where like I can get settled into the movie, but also I kind of like, like hearing what the director has to say about a film before that starts, you know, I watched a lot give of the Q and A's, but yeah, okay, I, I didn't watch any of the Q and A's. Okay. That was more my deal. So I, I wanted yeah. to get right into the movie, not really have that sort of like, I didn't like, a lot i skipped a lot of the director intros i only saw a few but the reason is because i don't want to hear from the director until after the movie that's just me but i understand i mean if i had more time i would have watched the q a's i just didn't really have that option i feel like i hear you i i kind of like listen to the because the q a's are on youtube and if you see any of these movies i do recommend you check the q a's out after because i would just like put them up on youtube and i'd listen to them while i was doing something else you know like around the house so okay I might do that throughout the week because, you know, I like listening to like things while I work and stuff. And it'd be I'd be curious, certainly with some of these movies here, what was going on in their heads when they were making these. Yeah, uh, there were a few movies where I had to like I was like, I need to because I I didn't know how else to process the movie. I was like that with Uh, a nanny. Okay, I was guess I was going to say name names, but I'm guessing uh, I was going to guess nanny. I was going to guess after Yang. After Yang, I did. Yeah, I did. Um, That one and Cha Cha Real Smooth. I, I watched okay. like two Q and A's for that because I was so f- curious. Um, master, I did for sure. But okay, anyway, that's Sundance. We talked about our favorite yeah, movies. We talked about our disappointment. We talked about a lot. It was a big, I think big we episode. We talked about most of the movies we covered. 
or we saw. Yeah, barely any we didn't get to, you know, like we didn't talk about Neptune Frost, you know, like we didn't even Good mention movie. it. Uh, we didn't mention, uh, I didn't really get into girl picture or fire of love. Yeah. Just kind of name dropping here and there. There were a bunch of like second chance. Um, we didn't bring up nothing compares, but again, we'll get into all that stuff later for now though. We yeah. got to call it quits. I feel though, like I, I'm glad we covered as much as we did. Um, yeah, but yeah, nothing, nothing all really right. to plug this week. Just follow us on the social media stuff. We'll be back next well, week. I think to talk about, uh, moonfall jackass forever or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know yep. how we're going to handle those. Cause I'm seeing moonfall. You're seeing jackass. What? I don't know if you're seeing moonfall I don't, and I'm not seeing jackass. So uh, we might be doing something kind of fun this weekend. I don't know. Are you not seeing jackass at all? I don't want to watch it now. Why not? They're fun movies. I man. just don't want to. I I know I'm whining, but like Suck I've never up, seen the cup. Jackass movies, and I don't watch have an them, interest. They're fun. But they're fun movies, man. What if I don't watch? <laughs> I just I never. Mean, I don't know. Johnny least, Knoxville. I saw The Ringer. Does that count? Uh, not really. But right. um, at the very least, watch number two because number two is an amazing work of art. If there is another movie, we might. There is Sundown, the Tim Roth movie. But then also, uh, oh yeah, I want to see that. We could we could drop or mention uh, Charlie XCX Alone Together, uh, which we've talked well, about on the show before because that was uh, Southwest, South by Southwest. I was going to say, um, the Fallout came to HBO Max. So yeah, we could talk about yeah, that. I forgot about that. Um, but I'm also going to be seeing Parallel Mothers hopefully this week. So we I'm excited for you to see that. I'm very excited for you to see that. Um, so yeah, we still have we have some stuff that we could get into aside from those two. Those are like like Jackass and Moonfall are kind of like the blockbustery movies. Yeah. So we covered, we'll, we'll figure um, it out. We covered worst person in the world. Uh, if yep. you want to hear our thoughts, you can listen to them right now. So <laughs> true, yeah. true. But no, uh, you'll have to wait to hear what we have to say about Kevin James and Home Team, which is a Netflix movie that we are not going to watch. Yeah, I'm not watching it. That's uh, uh, Taylor Lautner is in it. Will Taylor, Taylor Lautner, he's back. Yeah, you're not well, excited. He was in a, he, he, well, didn't he get acquired with the um, Happy Happy Madison thing with uh, Grown Ups Two and Ridiculous Six? He was in, yeah, Ridiculous Six. That was like the last thing. That was years ago. And then before that, yeah. where was he? I don't know. He got engaged. But well, anyway, yeah, that's what I say. He was in, he was in Grown Ups Two. Remember? Yeah, but that was before. Like way before. I know. Grown Ups 2 is like we so long ago. What I'm saying is he hasn't been around. How's he doing? I don't know. I don't know. He I wasn't in um it. he wasn't in the Shark Boy and Lava Girl thing. Remember? That was a big disappointment. And a lot you know, yeah. for me at least. Everyone Alright, let's get out of here. Down with that one. <laughs> let's stop this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, from the internet, California, I'm John Agurney. And from the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Wes. See you next time.